This episode is brought to you by Grasshopper Climbing. One of the best things I ever did for my own climbing was to build a climbing wall in my garage. It was so easy to stick to a consistent training schedule, and I always had really high-quality sessions on my own wall because there were no distractions, and I got super strong the two winters that I climbed on that board. But it's a ton of work to build your own home wall. First, you have to design the thing. Then you have to build it. Then you have to decide which holds you want and order tons of holds and bolts. And then you have to set all of the boulder problems and routes. And I'm guessing that most of you listening to this don't have time to do all that. Luckily, the folks at Grasshopper Climbing designed the perfect solution. The Grasshopper board was designed to give you an entire climbing gym experience right in your home. And the best part, they did such a good job with the hold shaping and layout that the Grasshopper board will be right for you whether you are a beginner or you climb V15. Literally, it's so efficient, it's so good for training, and most importantly, it's so much fun to climb on. But don't take my word for it because the folks at Grasshopper just want you to try it out and see for yourself. If you want to learn more, head over to grasshopperclimbing.com or check them out on Instagram at grasshopperclimbing. Be sure to check out their different boards and reach out to their sales team to find out where you can try out the Grasshopper board yourself and which board solution might be right for you. And be sure to tell them I sent you because the folks at Grasshopper are offering you guys, listeners to this podcast, $500 off when you order a fully kitted out 8 by 10 foot Grasshopper board. You can save $500 or even more if you upgrade to a larger board. Again, that's grasshopperclimbing.com to check out the Grasshopper board. This episode is also brought to you by Rhino Skin Solutions. This stuff is my go-to when it comes to taking care of my skin for climbing. I use the repair cream almost every single night, all the time. I use it multiple times a night if I'm climbing in a sharp, crimpy area like Waco Tanks or Leavenworth, Washington. I love that place, but it's really sharp. If I come home from a day of climbing and my skin's torn up, I wash my hands and then I apply repair cream several times throughout the evening. And it really does wonders to healing my skin faster and getting me back on the rock the next day. If you want to level up your skin game, head over to rhinoskinsolutions.com to check out their great line of products and enter code NUGGET at checkout for 20% off your next order. My favorites are the repair cream. I already talked about that one. I also love the performance cream and the dry spray. I use those second two whenever I'm climbing in warmer conditions. Like now, it's July, I'm in Rocky Mountain, and it's a little bit sweaty, so I've been using performance and dry to keep my hands from sweating. That's rhinoskinsolutions.com. Use code NUGGET at checkout for 20% off your next order. And if you want to learn more about how to use Rhino products, I recommend an episode with the founder, Justin Brown, who's a friend of mine, way back in episode 22. It's still a great episode. It's not that old. It's only a couple of years old. It's packed full of information, so be sure to go check that out to learn more. One final time, rhinoskinsolutions.com. Use code NUGGET at checkout for 20% off the best skincare products in the game. Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of the Nugget Climbing Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Dimmitt, recording this from a little soundproof booth in a co-working space in Estes Park, Colorado. My guest today is Devin Dabney. Devin is a super interesting guy. He's a rock climber and a root setter, but he's also a rapper, music producer, a writer, and he's also a podcaster. Devin's latest creative project is a podcast called The American Climbing Project, and that is how I really 
got interested in Devin, was listening to his show. It's incredible. I got so curious about Devin listening to it, and I wanted to learn more about this guy, and I knew it would be a great conversation, and this one didn't disappoint. I really loved this conversation and thought it was so, so good and so interesting. Um, If you guys tune into The Nugget for training information or to hear all about the sickest sends, this probably isn't your episode. We don't really talk all that much about rock climbing. We did talk about how Devin got into rock climbing and what his experience was. But yeah, this conversation really was not about performance climbing. If, on the other hand, you love the nugget for its deeper conversations with really interesting people who are doing really cool things in the world, I think you're going to love this episode. We talked a lot about the American Climbing Project, and rather than trying to describe what it is myself, Devin graciously gave me the trailer for the podcast. So I am going to just play that right here so you guys can hear that in place of my normal intro music. You can get a feel for his show, and then we'll go right into the conversation. So yeah, thanks for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy this wide-ranging conversation with rock climber, root setter, rapper, music producer, writer, and podcaster, Devin Dabney. Welcome to the American Climbing Project. My name is Devin Dabney, and if you're tuning in for the first time, this episode will give you a quick rundown of what this show is about, how it works, and what to expect. First of all, this is a climbing podcast, but it's not about training. Yeah, sorry. Figured there was enough of that already. Instead, this podcast is going to focus on social issues and topics that aren't typically addressed in climbing media which means pretty much anything besides training. We pick a theme, and then we have open, honest, vulnerable conversations with climbers all across the country. Each topic we discuss will form our respective seasons, and while the topic of each episode will vary, they'll mostly stay within the season's theme. I'ma warn you right now, this ain't your typical podcast. It's got a pretty unique narrative structure, but once you listen to an episode or two, you'll get the hang of it. Another fair warning, I am not here to bullshit with you. You are not going to agree with everything I say or that my guests say, and some of it might make you feel some type of way, but I promise you, if you stick around and stay a part of the conversation, it'll be worth it. And with that, always know any of you that are listening have an open invitation to be on the show. One last thing I can promise you is that this narrative is not a narration, it's a conversation. Not an echo chamber, but a round table. Not about me, but we. The voices you'll hear are from various climbers of all ages, races, genders, and demographics. Because the point is not to agree, and it's not to cancel either. Not to disrespect, but come correct. This show doesn't exist to confirm your beliefs, but to challenge them. So, if you find yourself agreeing with me in everything I say in an episode, please shoot me an email so I can fix that shit right away. It's called the American Climbing Project for a reason. It's a project, and we're all going to work on it together. That's enough for now. This thing will evolve a lot over time, and the methods may change, but the message will remain. So strap in, and to all our listeners, old ones, new ones, earthlings and juwans, ninos, mignon, klingon, and everything between ons, I give you the American Climbing Project.
It's really funny. I, I don't know why, but for some reason, the perspective of your van, it makes it look like it's a green screen. I know it's not a green screen, but it just, <laughs> I don't know what it is about it. It just looks like a green screen for some reason. You haven't seen yeah. my van before, have you? No, no. It's my little um, van house. Yeah, that's, wow, that's really awesome. Yeah, okay, so right now it looks like it, but when obviously when you pick it up, I'm like, okay, this is a real... That'd be a really a impressive real green screen. Yeah, what What do you... <laughs> like, it looks like I just have like a little climber van backdrop. Yeah, yeah, I, and part of that maybe just because like I... I'm so used to working um, in a virtual environment, like at Nike, everybody has green screens and they're all these different backgrounds. So I'm like, I guess maybe in my brain, I'm like, yeah, that's obviously a green screen, Devin. No one actually has a van. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. That, re that reminds me, I saw a reel the other day and this guy was, this guy was, he was like taking a selfie of himself driving on a work meeting and he had a, literally a green screen like somehow set uh -huh. up behind his, behind his back, like in front of his driver's seat. Mm -hmm. And uh, it looks like he's in an office, but he's like literally driving his car on this work meeting. <laughs> uh, that's so great. It's bold. Yeah. Only in 20, yeah. only post COVID, right? Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're reminding me of a real I saw where there was a dude who was doing something very similar, except he was on a boat. So he wasn't like working, you know, like he's like out on vacation, but his uh, background looks like he's in like a library or something. <laughs> and yeah, he's just like on a boat. Um, yeah. Technology is amazing. <laughs> it is. It is. Well, um, this is my real van, I promise. And uh, <laughs> I don't know how glamorous my life looks to you right now, but I'm actually, it's not that glamorous. I'm actually in my parents' <laughs> driveway in Wenatchee, Washington, just like poaching their Wi-Fi from my, from my van. So you know, life, it, it could be a lot worse, but um, yeah, just sitting in a driveway over here. Yeah. Um, I mean, it looks pretty glamorous to me because I'm at my parents' house too, but I don't even have a van. I'm just in my <laughs> childhood room with a giant SpongeBob next to me. Oh, let me see. <laughs> here, hold on. Look, dude. Wow. I don't know if you get like scale, but it's like the size of a, like a small, like an, a young adult. Yeah. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I have to hear that story. Why do you have that? <laughs> well, I was, um, uh, I go to the state fair or I used to go to the Indiana state fair with my parents every year when I was younger and they had, I mean, you know how they have fair games. They had this game where there was like a basketball hoop and like you had to shoot it and it was pretty far away. Um, but yeah, you got like one shot and if you hit it, you won this, uh, like one of those giant ass stuffed animals. So uh, yeah, I, I clearly won and I got one of those and Spongebob was my favorite cartoon at the time. So definitely snag Spongebob. Yeah, I took it full advantage of that. I was pretty good at shooting basketballs, even though I wasn't like good at basketball. I was pretty good at just like if you just sit me still and are like hit the target, I could do that. So yeah, had it for four, no, 18 years now. 18 <laughs> I years. Was 13, I was 13 when I got it and I'll be 31 in like five days. <laughs> I love it, man. Has it has it traveled with you or does it has it just stayed in this room this whole time? Oh, dude, no way. I can't bring like that thing takes up probably would take up the trunk of my Jeep if I brought it with <laughs> yeah. me. It had to stay yeah. like when I moved to Portland, it had to stay in Indy. And I honestly don't know what I'll do if I mean, it's probably always going to stay here, provided that my parents always have this house because, yeah, it's not necessarily convenient to lug around. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <clears throat> yeah. So where are you? Where, where did you grow up and where's your parents house? My parents' house is Indian in Indianapolis, which is where I also grew up. Okay. Um, we moved around quite a bit 
um, in Indy, like when I was a kid, um, until my parents were finally able to buy a house when I was like 15 or 16. But prior to that, like we just had like small apartments and like moved around the city quite a bit. And then I think I, I just said this, but I moved to Portland on my own in 2017 or 2018. And then COVID happened. And then I came back here in 2020 thinking it was going to be temporary. And turns out it's not so temporary. <laughs> um, but yeah. Yeah. Well, man, it's so fun to have you here. Um, it's really funny. I, leading into an interview, I'm always thinking about like, how do I open the conversation? Like, what's the hook? How do we make it interesting right off the bat? Uh-huh. And um, I had some ideas, but of course, you're so easy to talk to. Like, here we are. We've already talked about my van, SpongeBob. <laughs> you know, we just launched right into it, which is no surprise. But um, man, I've just, I've been so looking forward to this. And I figured I would start by <laughs> just telling people how we connected and and mm-hmm. um, why I'm so excited to talk to you. Just take them through that story and, and that'll lead right into what you're up to in your podcast and all the things I'm so excited to talk about. Um, I also, I, wa- I want to get to know you better too, because I listened to your show yeah. and it just made me, I'm like, who is this guy? I have to like learn more about Devin. <laughs> so I think I, I think I knew who you were from, this takes us back like a year. I think I knew who you were from Instagram and I was like, mm-hmm. okay, this guy's a climber. He makes like really cool rap music. Like that's interesting. And um I always love like learning that climbers are really good at other art, the other things, Mm -hmm. you know, like we all have these past lives and then climbing takes over and we get obsessed. And it's so often that like, you know, you know, a climbing partner for years before you find out that they're like an amazing, you know, concert pianist or whatever it is or Mm -hmm. rapper, you know. Um, So I think I knew, knew you from that. And then in the fall, I hosted a webinar all about how to make money on Patreon and just kind of shared some of the things I'd, I'd learned that was put together by our mutual friend, Emily Holland. And you were in that session. And so I got to connect with you then, but it was really one-sided. It was just like me doing this webinar, sharing some things. I think we like, you know, we're in the chat for a minute. Um, so I knew you were up to something, but I didn't know what you were doing. And... I hadn't really heard anything about your show. I'm so, you know, saturated with my own podcast. I don't explore new stuff very often and and listen to stuff. But I was just down in St. George, Utah, and um, somehow you came up, and my friend Taylor Fragomeni recommended your show. She'd listened yeah. to the whole thing and and just had such good things to say, and she's one of my favorite people, and I knew that I had to listen, and so... I was driving from St. George back to Washington and finally, I think like two different people had recommended it actually. And so I was like, okay, I gotta, I gotta listen to this. And I dove in and just got hooked immediately, man. And I just, I just consumed your entire catalog on that drive. (laughs) And I like stopped at a gas station. I was like literally driving. (laughs) I shouldn't admit this, but I was like, you know, I have like one of those little phone stands on my van, right? For like navigation and stuff. And I was just like literally typing notes um, <laughs> hoping to interview you because I w- like all these ideas kept coming to my mind and I just kept typing stuff and then I stopped at a gas station and sent you that message right away. Just like, I, oh, I, I love what you're doing. I'm so impressed with your show. It's so unique. It's so good. It's so well produced. And um, I'm honored to have you here, man. W- welcome. Welcome. Wow. Yeah, it's great to see Dude, you. Dude, that's, wow. I, I don't even know what to say. Like, first of all, thank you. Like, that's a, uh, it means a lot that you like not only listened to it and liked it, but from what you were saying, you were making notes about it. You know, I think it's one thing 
to enjoy the podcast, but just that you're really taking it in. Like that means a lot. Second of all, hi, Taylor. She's also <laughs> one of my favorite people. And I'm like honored that she referenced my podcast at all to someone else. Um, and third, I just wanted to tell you that I too am guilty of making notes while driving. The difference is sometimes <laughs> like when I'm listening to a song, I'll think of like a rap lyric and I'll be like, oh shit, that's kind of clever. And then I just, if I don't write it down, I'm going to lose it. Totally. And so I just, I, I have to do it. I have to, and uh, Siri text to speech never works the way I want it to. I'm like, <laughs> I didn't say tomato, Siri, this is a rap. Um, but uh, yeah, that's so cool, man. And um, gosh, there's like one other thing I wanted to say and I'm trying to remember. Uh, oh yeah. Th so like um, that session that you held was very, it was very inspirational for me. I don't know if I had already quit my job or if I was planning to do it, but seeing how you approach things really helped further solidify that like, yes, this is like the step that I need to take. And, and I still have your Patreon pinned in my search browser and I look at it and I'm like, that's goals, you know, like that's where <laughs> I want to get. Um, that's true, man. That's a hundred percent true. <laughs> like, yeah, you're, you're definitely like a North star for me in the podcast world. So it's cool to be on the show. Thanks, man. I mean, you're, yeah, that's something I want to talk to you about later is, is that journey. And cause you're in this, you have this really interesting challenge ahead of you because your podcast takes so much work. And, mm -hmm. you know, one of the things that has worked so well for me is just showing up every week and putting out an episode. But I know that just listening to your show for two seconds, it's like, okay, this is different. And if this guy's making this thing on his own, like, you know, this sort of quality is usually produced by like an entire team of sound engineers and producers and things. And I'm like, this is just Devin and I guess, and, and Rob helping you out as well. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that's, that's something we should definitely circle back to But I want to hear where this idea came from. Like when you sat in on that session, what was the vision that you had for this podcast? I, I, I want you to introduce the American Climbing Project and just give me a sense of what the idea for it was and what it's become. Like, is it exactly what you envisioned or has it already shifted? But I just want to hear first, I guess, yeah, what, what was the vision for it? Where'd the idea come from? Yeah, I suppose in some ways it is exactly what I pictured it. It just like the picture became clearer over time. So I've wanted to have a podcast for a long time. I think maybe, you know, 2015, 2016 is when I was like, oh, it would be fun to do this. But I'm, I was very uh, aware of the fact that like, there's a lot of podcasts out there and I didn't want to do the same thing that everyone else was doing. And so in my mind, I was like, I don't want to make something unless I know it's going to be unique and it's going to provide something different. Right. Um, and so you know, I, it's something that marinated in my head for a long time. And for those of you that know me, you probably know that Chris Hampton is probably my biggest mentor in climbing and one of my closest friends. And he's someone uh, that I met in like 2016 era. So he's someone I was looking to in terms of like, oh, wow, like he's a rapper, but he's also a businessman. He does have a podcast. And I, uh, I don't know, I, I wanted to I wanted to be like him. Honestly, I wanted to do all the things he was doing. And it was probably 2017 that he interviewed me for his show. And we talked about the idea for the podcast. And the more that I like thought about it, the more I was like, oh, well, there's a lot of stuff on training, but there isn't really anything talking about 
the community aspect of climbing or like the social component of climbing, which I thought was like a glaring, you know, absence because I feel like climbing is mostly a social sport. Mm. Um, so then that's when it started to become, yeah, like I think I'd want it to be focused on, you know, the community or like the dynamics of community or how we can improve it, um, those sorts of things. And then I think probably it was either 2019 or 2020. I found this show called uh, Trigger Warning by Killer Mike. Have you seen that show? No, no, but I love this because I, I, um, I was really wondering where the format came from and I had, I had my own guess, but yeah, please continue. Yeah, yeah. So the format was partially inspired by that show. So, so for the listeners, Killer, or Killer Mike is a rapper. He's one half of Run the Jewels, but he had been a rapper for a long time. And he had a TV show on Netflix called Trigger Warning that um, was based around him trying to take some like idea that he had, like some crazy idea on fixing society or education or racism. And he would just like see it through all the way. So for example, his first episode was he tried to live for three days on just black owned businesses. And as you can imagine, it was very difficult because like everything, pretty much everything in America is like either white owned or it's like, it may be black owned, but it's supplied by a white company. Mm. So like he was even to that point of like, he, he wouldn't eat at a black barbecue place if it came from a white farm. Um, so it. it's like those sorts of things where he like will do that. Or he even has like a little bit sillier things where he's like, I'm going to start my own country. And he like literally started a country like New Africa somewhere in America. I can't remember. But the the whole point is that he's going through these trials and he's learning about the system that we're in. And a lot of it is like very the format of it is very unapologetic. Like he just like says whatever he wants. And like it's just like very in your face, but in a funny kind of way. And I just was really drawn to that, that line of like, I'm going to like poke at something that's uncomfortable for people, but I'm going to make you laugh. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, I was really inspired by that. And then just, you know, the, obviously the format of the show is unique, but that just comes from me wanting it to feel like a conversation with a bunch of people. I wanted it to feel like, I mean, literally the picture I had in my head was sitting at the campfire at Miguel's and you're just having a conversation with a bunch of climbers, some of them, you, which you may not know. And so I wanted it to feel like that. I wanted it to feel like you were listening to a bunch of climbers talk. So, yeah. I love that, man. I mean, yeah, there's so many things that you just touched on that I, I want to double click on and, and talk more yeah. about, but yeah, I that last thing you said, I love that. And I hadn't thought about it that way, listening until our first conversation, but yeah, I you you include all these sound bites for people that haven't heard the American Climbing Project. You include all these sound bites that you've collected from these interviews, and very often you don't even say who the person is, where they came from, whatever, and and they're adding really valuable, thoughtful insights to the conversation. And it's yeah, it, it feels like that. I really I really like that. That's awesome. It's super cool. Um, well, and go oh, ahead. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, like, on the anonymity side, that was a that's a very intentional choice. You know, we didn't we Rob and I debated back and forth of like whether we wanted to say everybody's name. And one, it would have been a lot of work. But two, and more importantly, was we didn't we didn't want people to focus on people's identities. Like, I don't want you to hear something profound that someone says and then you find out that they're black and it affects your opinion somehow. Or like if you. You know what I mean? Or even like 
on the white side. Like if you hear a white person say something super poignant about race and then you're like, oh, well, they're just a white person. They don't know what they're talking about. I wanted to get rid of the that component of it and just have, you know, like these are people in your community. Like this is your this is your community. You know, they could be literally the person next to you and you wouldn't know. Mm. And, and that's true regardless of who's talking. I love that, man. I'm, I think I think you've done such a good job of that. I mean, going back to what you said about kind of like poking at things that feel uncomfortable, getting people outside mm-hmm. of their comfort zone, but doing it a way, doing it in a way that includes humor. Um, that, I mean, that's a that's a really hard line to walk, and you've done it brilliantly. Where, like, I'm, I was listening to this thing and just like laughing, and also like just fluctuating back and forth between like delighted like laughing you know when when things <laughs> ring true and you've seen it and you're like fuck you know yeah. like laughing at that and then like and then getting really thoughtful and being pulled into this like more thoughtful insightful space and just going back and forth between those those spaces and like you have this way of of speaking your truth and saying real things and you know talking to people like Dom and sharing your real lived experience that's so different from mine, but I feel invited into that. Like, I feel like I'm Mm -hmm. in on the jokes and I feel like I get to sit and listen and hear where you guys are coming from and what you actually live through. And that's so, that feels so um, good to me and and Mm -hmm. just feels like it has such potential to change people's minds about things and, and lift, you know, someone like me out of this ignorance that I have being a, white kid from the Pacific Northwest, you know, like, Mm -hmm. yeah, I I just, I think you do such a good job with that. And um, it's really what stood out to me because it's, especially in the last couple of years, like it's, it's a rare person that manages to do that. And I I think I totally understand that. Like there's a lot of Mm -hmm. voices in the conversation that are just angry. And I think they're, something I've changed my mind about in the last couple of years is that that's really important too. I I used to think like, that anger and speaking out from a frustrated place, I thought it was divisive or um, counterproductive, but I now realize like, no, it really helps someone like me understand the gravity of the conversation and how important it is. But then, especially as like a white heterosexual male who grew up in the Pacific Northwest, like oftentimes you almost get this feeling like, like there's no hope for you, you know, um, right. there's no, you, you'll never understand. And I get that, but I want to understand as best I can. Right. I want to hear your perspective. So I just thank you for that, man. I think it's, I think it's a really cool line that you've, that you found um, with these conversations. Well, thank you, man. I, I really appreciate he- hearing you say that. Um, Cause one, like, I think you're totally right. I think a lot of people will uh, say that, like angrier, quote unquote, angrier voices are are like, oh, well, you're just polarizing people. Um, but actually, I was more on the other side of it where I thought I was worried that my voice wasn't going to mean anything because because I'm not someone that presents that way. Like if I want to mm. if I want to talk about something, even something that makes me angry, I'm usually not going to approach it in a in a passion, in an impassioned way in that way. You know what I mean? And I used to think that that was a flaw of mine. Um, but I've learned that like, yeah, there, there needs to be all sorts of voices, you know, providing their perspective and my voice doesn't work on everybody. And so there are people that respond 
there's just people that respond to different things. And so having variety is okay. And, and anger is most certainly okay when you're talking about, you know, your livelihood or, you know, like we're talking about people, you know, we're, we're not just talking about theoretical things. Um, gosh, you, I, I wanted to say like, Every time you say something, I have like four things that I want to say. <laughs> Same. <laughs> it's tough Same to keep you. track of it all. Um, <laughs> and oh, oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So talking about like how you feel invited into the conversation, that was um, very much like a goal of ours. You know, it it's um, it's one thing to speak to people that already are on your wavelength that already understand where you're coming from. And it's another thing to try to go to someone who's on the extreme end of things and sway them to the other side. And neither of those things are what really what we wanted to do. We really wanted to speak to people who are what I believe are most Americans. Like most Americans are not like evil, like terrible people that want to destroy black people or, or queer people. They, they're just people that maybe like they're inherently good, but they maybe either don't understand how they contribute to the systems they're a part of, or maybe they just have some internalized racism, homophobia, like that we all do, you know, right? That they just need to have worked out of them. And so like, yeah, that that was the target audience for us is like, we're, we're not here to convince clan members to like put down, their, you know, like it's not <laughs> right. gonna work, you know? Right. It, it, that's that's not what, at least that's not what I'm here to do with my podcast. I'm, I'm speaking more to, yeah, like basically people like you. I mean, really, Stephen, you're you're kind of in our target audience. <laughs> <laughs> like, so to hear hear that is great. <laughs> I love that. I love that. And you're. I think you're so right. I mean, yes, there is such a, a problem still in this country of just outright racism and bigotry. Like, yes, that is mm -hmm. true. Those people are not going to make it through the intro of your first episode, right? <laughs> yeah. So it it is like it's for much of the climbing community, because, you know, that's something that I so appreciate about climbing is it's mostly really forward thinking, really open-minded people, but we're dealing with a problem of ignorance, you know, like I'm such a good example. I'm, I'm a white kid from like a middle-class, upper middle-class family that grew up in Washington state. And like going to my high school, there was literally one gay kid and mm -hmm. I had one black friend and it was just my friend, Phil. And I had no awareness of like how different the lived experience of the average or, or the majority of black people in this country was for me because he was just my friend, Phil, who also grew up in right. like an upper middle class family. And he just didn't seem that different from me, you know, like his, yeah. his experience, I had no reason to think that he was having a different experience than me. And he probably was, mm -hmm. but it was probably a lot more similar to me than like a kid growing up in inner city Memphis or something like that. Right. Yeah. Like, he was just Phil and he was dating my friend Whitney, who was like this redheaded firecracker. And he and I were like in choir together and we loved Dave Chappelle and we'd like, oh, we'd man. like recite Dave Chappelle jokes on the bus rides to our performances and stuff. <laughs> right. So it's so, <laughs> yeah, like listening to your show and just being on the inside and hearing, hearing you just be real and, and your guests just be real and just talk about it just that experience. Cause I don't want to be invited in to say anything. I have nothing to say. I just want to be invited right. in to listen. And it's, it's been so valuable for me, even like as a 32 year old man now, who's lived in the world for a long time, you know, climbers were still in such a bubble. Like I travel around and climb mm -hmm. year round. And in the two years I've been on the road, I've met like two black people out there climbing. Right. So mm -hmm. I just don't, 
hear these perspectives very often. And, and I just, yeah, I just really appreciate you bringing those conversations to me and, and to yeah. so many of us that need to think about them and hear them. So, yeah. Yeah. I think um, climbing still obviously has a long way to go in terms of, you know, how insulated it is, you know? I mean, I think we even talk about this in the podcast of how, you know, you can go climbing in all these different areas and be totally removed from the community around it. And I think that's kind of why some people that like hear the podcast that get upset by it, they, they don't like the idea that climbing is affected by the rest of the world. You know, like for a lot of people, climbing is this escapism. It's this, oh, it's my special happy place that has no bearing on the world around me. But that's just not true. You know, like everything is affected by history. And, you know, like it's not a matter of like saying that, oh, climbing is terrible because, you know, like the golden age of Yosemite happens at the same time as the civil rights movement. It's just understanding why we're, we are where we are, you know? And so, yeah, I think, yeah, I think your experience is, is probably what a lot of people experience about climbing is that it's just, it still is so, uh, or at least tries to be so detached from everything around it. Um, and I just don't understand why, because I think that's community is like one of climbing's greatest strengths, in my opinion. Um, and just, I just think leaning into that would just make the sport better anyway, you know? I agree. I love it, man. I love it. Um, what was I got? Oh, and then I, I wanted to say this too. Um, you know, I mean, right now we're talking about race and racism, but I, I want to make clear, uh, for everyone. And I suppose you too, that, uh, we're all going to be uncomfortable on this podcast. Like we're talking about racism right now, but season two, we're going to move on to uh, gender and sexual orientation and how that affects the climbing experience. And I'm straight man, you know, like I'm going to, I'm going to be the ignorant one now. Um, and I'm going to be the one that that's just there to learn. Um, and I may not even be doing the interviews. Cause I don't think that, I think it affects how the conversation goes. If, mm. It's different if a straight man is talking to uh, a queer person or even a straight woman, you know, uh, versus, you know, two women talking. So, yeah, that, that's going to take some working out. But but nonetheless, yeah, I, I just want to make sure that that everyone knows that this is a, a long term plan where, you know, eventually we're going to have seasons on all sorts of topics that make climbers uncomfortable and everyone's going to be uncomfortable at some point. Um, but if you, you know, stick with the whole show, I, I just think it's going to be so cool once, mm. once I have the time to make all this. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, man. Well, yeah, I think that's a great opportunity to back up and fill in some context for people. And I think what I might do, if you're okay with it, is, mm -hmm. I, I mean, I always do an intro for this. I haven't recorded that yet. That's how the show works. Um, mm -hmm. You and I are talking in late May. This will probably publish in like six weeks. Um, mm -hmm. But I'd love to introduce you and then actually just share the intro, like the episode zero of your podcast for yeah. people to to hear. Because it's one thing for me to describe it or for you to describe it, but that two or three minute long introduction with the music, with the, you know, it, it, it really mm -hmm. gives you a sense of the feeling of the show and what it's all about. So yeah, people listening that now, if you're okay with that, will have heard that already. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think we should still back up. So you mentioned Chris Hampton for people, I'm guessing most people know, but Chris Hampton is the power company climbing. Um, he also does the power company podcast. He's a climbing coach, mm -hmm. good friend of yours. You guys now have a podcast together called hip hop taught me everything. Yeah. Um, 
so yeah, that's awesome. I wanted to to mention that. And then tell me about Rob. Who is Rob? Rob is a longtime friend of mine. We used to work together at a at a different climbing gym. And um, you know, actually it's funny, we we hadn't talked for a few years um until uh until we started working on the podcast. Yeah. I, I so I moved away from from Indy and um and Rob Rob and I worked for the same climbing gym franchise, but not at the same facility. So we were like, like loosely in contact, but not necessarily close. And, uh, I don't remember why Rob decided to call me with this idea, but he, when I was working on the American climbing project idea, he called me and was like, Hey dude, I have this idea for a blog. And, and the like mission behind it was like the exact same as the American climbing projects mission. So I don't know if it was like the zeitgeist just talked to us both at the same time, but yeah, we, I was like, yeah, dude, I have this podcast I want to do. That's very similar to what you're talking about. So what if we just join forces? And so, yeah. And, and also for those of you that don't know, we also have a blog. I mean, I know not as many people read the blog as a, as listen to the podcast, but it's really kind of a shame because Rob is this like master researcher, like very smart, very thoughtful person. And he writes these blogs that are just deep, deep dives into the subject we're talking about for the episode, you know, like, cause I mean, you know, Steven, like my, my episodes are short We can, and we can't cover everything. Mm. Like we, we just, and even in the blogs, we can't cover everything, but we can at least dive deeper and provide, you know, academic resources to corroborate what we're saying and what people are saying. Um, so yeah, like that's kind of how it started. And then Rob and I just like met on zoom cause he lives in Maine. So like we just met in on zoom a bunch of times and just were like, how the hell are we going to do this? Like, what's the format going to be? And, and it was just like trial and trial and error and like try this. And, and then we finally figured out the format we have now, but, uh, yeah, it was a journey, dude. It was a journey. One thing I do want to say that I think is not apparent in the show, but is really cool about it is, you know, we have those like funny little skits that we put together. So when I do my interviews, I don't come usually with questions. I just play the skit and then they react and that their reaction is the conversation we have. So like, for example, like the Dom episode, I played the black square skit for Dom and then the episode is the conversation we had. So mm. Um, yeah, just, I, I wanted to have that element of surprise and, and just get people's reactions in the moment to something. Um, yeah, just, uh, just a little fun fact about how we did the show, but yeah, Rob's kind of like the man in the chair, you know, he doesn't, <laughs> he doesn't like do the audio production or anything like that, but he's like, he's the person that kind of helps me refine the podcast and make it better. And he tells me, no, Devin, that's a stupid idea or that's don't do that or do this instead. And yeah, he's uh he'll tell you all that all the time that he's like not a big portion of the work, but I literally couldn't do this without him. Mm. Mm. Man, I, I love it when the universe connects you with those people. That's, that's <laughs> really, that's yeah. so cool, man. Well, I want to hear um, from your perspective. I know we've been talking about it this whole time and we launched right into racism and climbing because yeah, for people that haven't heard your show, you're doing these seasons and each season is focused on a specific topic and that's what you chose to do your first season about. So there's seven episodes making up that discography so far. But, mm -hmm. you know, you talked about having this shared vision with Rob. Describe what that is. Like what, what if you were to just 
distill it down, like what is the American Climbing Project? Man, I wish I, 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 we wrote a mission statement at some point. This would be a good time to know it. (laughs) (laughs) Let me see if I can, if I can distill it down. More or less, we want it to be a tool for growing and improving the climbing community. We want it to be, and it it can do that in a lot of ways, right? It can do that by um, having conversations about uncomfortable things that need to be talked about. It can do that by providing a platform to people who wouldn't otherwise have it. You know, most of most of the people on my show are not like pro climbers or famous people. And that's by design. Like I wanted to we wanted to intentionally have the voices that wouldn't otherwise get a platform. I mean, Chris is on there, but you get what I'm saying. In general, we want to focus on giving people that are not traditionally in the spotlight a chance to say something. Um, And then long, long term, I know I really want it to be a way to redistribute wealth in the climbing community of like you know, when this podcast is super famous and, you know, fingers crossed and it does make money, like then I slash we can give money to um, like, you know, the affinity groups that we really value or like Brown Girls Climb or Brothers of Climbing or some cool gym that's doing something good in its community. Um, Yeah, we, I just really want to kind of actually level the playing field in rock climbing and make it so that more people can do it and that climbing is much more of a community driven sport. So um, that's a long explanation, but that that's <laughs> without pulling up my mission statement, <laughs> that's, that's a pretty much it. That's great, man. That's great. And I, I love it. I think the next step then is to describe the format. Like you you mentioned the skits, I've mentioned the music. Mm-hmm. These episodes are about 30 minutes long, combining interviews, music, these parodies from from Devin and the reactions <laughs> from people to that. But yeah, just describe the format because it's it's really unique. And actually, actually, before you do that, I, I have to mm-hmm. ask, have you listened to uh, Midnight Miracle, the podcast from Dave Chappelle, Talib Kweli, and Yasin Bey? I've been told to listen to it and that this is the second time, so I guess I need to. Um, but no, I haven't. Okay, okay, because I've never heard a podcast like yours Except for maybe that one. I listened to Midnight Miracle back, I think I was in Waco. It was this winter and I listened to the whole thing and was just like, this is, it's that mixtape feel. You know, it's like comedy, it's music, it's rap, it's discussion. And it was such a different experience than anything else I'd heard in a podcast format. You know, it's, it's, I don't know, it's like a... (laughs) It's a mixtape. I don't know what else to call it. And you do your own version of that. And it's so cool. But I just was curious if you had drawn inspiration from that show. But yeah, yeah. you know, I I may for season two. (laughs) Because yeah, Yeah. I hadn't. uh, I mean, and and I haven't listened to every podcast out there, but I had not found anything that was like what we wanted to do. You know, it's Um, super unique, dude. Yeah. Yeah. We I mean, basically it the way we came up with the idea is pretty much how you'd come up with a mixtape. We just pulled from a bunch of different sources. Like, you know, for example, like uh, my favorite podcast in terms of audio production is a uh, snap judgment. So I would like listen to all the snap judgment I could and be like, what do I like about the balance of music and voice? And then like, I would go listen to some totally different podcasts like yours or, or Chris and, and like, and kind of, get a sense of like, what do I like about how they're guiding the conversation? How are they doing X, Y, Z? How is it not boring? You know, X, Y, Z. 
Um, but yeah, the, the mixtape format, I mean, I'm glad you said that word because that's literally what we wanted it to feel like. We wanted it to be, we wanted it to feel, I still haven't come up with a better word than messy, but we wanted it to feel kind of unrefined and like, there isn't like clear cut, like, oh, it's been four minutes, let's transition or time for your mid-roll ad. Like we, we didn't want any sort of sense of orientation necessarily other than like knowing like oh like the music's coming in that means we're about to hear from a bunch of people and uh yeah like we just wanted we didn't want to be beholden to a specific format and we wanted it all to kind of flow together to be honest like like uh i mean you've listened to the whole all seven episodes we have now like it all kind of flows together like it just feels like a big song and so yeah that's that's kind of what I wanted, especially as a musician. Like I, I love hip hop, obviously. And so the mixtape idea was just like, that's what I wanted. And Rob agreed. <laughs> I love it, man. It's yeah, it's like meant to be binged. And mm-hmm. <laughs> and the, the exactly. only the only problem with that is that it gave me so many things uh, to think about and that I wanted to refer back to. You know, it's it's hard to internalize that when you're just binging the whole thing. So I'm going to have to listen to it again and again, which is not a problem at all. It's brilliant. Um, yeah. Tell me, so you mentioned the skits. They're <laughs> they're so creative and and fun. Um, tell me how those came to be. And I, I, if I remember correctly from talking to you, you know, in our first conversation, you were on a walk and had the black square idea. Is that okay? Yeah, tell me that. That's story. correct. Yeah, uh, I don't. You know, man, I don't even really know where I got the idea that I wanted to do skits for the podcast. Like I'm thinking about that and I can't really remember. I guess I just knew I wanted it to be funny and I needed like some sort of engine to convey humor. Um, and yeah, I was just, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking, it's actually raining today like it was then, but I was just on like a morning walk before work. And I guess like the rain made me think of like the, those, those like, uh, prescription medication commercials where this shit has like a hundred side effects, but they're like, Oh, but it'll make you happy. Um, so are you feeling, are you feeling redness in your throat? Yeah. Yeah. That's sort of like, (laughs) like either. (laughs) So it was that, but I was just, yeah, I obviously was thinking of the black square and just the, do you want to be less racist? Um, and just really playing on, playing on that commercial idea, but also playing on that, the, I guess like the underlying frustration I had with it of like how it was being used of like, Oh, I put this up, which means we solved racism or like I put this up, which means I'm a good person. And it just totally like misses the point of what racism is about. It's not about whether you're a good or good person or not. Um, But yeah, like just, I don't know. Yeah. I, I w- ran home and literally recorded it that second, you know, like <laughs> I had, uh, I happened to have that like sad piano track that I like, just, I had made it at some point. So I, it fit perfectly. And yeah, it took me like maybe an hour and just like threw wow. down the finished version <laughs> that's on the podcast. Yep. Wow, yeah, man. Uh, yeah. Just that's the thing though, man. And that's why, that's a, why I've really tried to engineer my life so that I have more free time because I don't know, creativity for me is not like, I can't really turn it on necessarily. I can't like be creative. I usually just have to wait for an idea to hit me. Um, And so what I try to do is I try to put myself in situations where creative ideas come out, Mm. you know, and a lot, I mean, sometimes it's like going to 
you know, I went to CWA last week. Like that's a good incubator for, for that sort of inspiration. Cause I have all these conversations and I'm like, oh, it'd be hilarious if I made a skit about that or yeah. Or I'll just go on a walk and it'll be raining and that'll make me think of some Viagra commercial or whatever it is. <laughs> and, um, but yeah, when I, when I like, and Rob will attest to this too. Uh, when I like get inspired or I have something, I can be very prolific, but when I'm not, then I, I ain't got nothing. Mm-hmm. I can't, mm-hmm. I can't do anything. So that's also the challenge I'm, I'm running up against with the podcast is like, when I'm inspired, I can make an episode in a few days, but Otherwise, it's just difficult because it's difficult subject matter and just a lot of like audio work, you know? I wanted to ask that, man. Like, what does what does the process look like to put together one of these episodes? I mean, I, I know from talking to you that you're collecting a lot of the material and then crafting the narrative later. So it's it's like this, you know, whereas like I have this very consistent workflow of like reach, mm-hmm. reach out to someone, schedule a pre-interview, get to know them learn more about them, have the interview, edit it, put it on the podcast. For you, it's like amassing material and conversations. And then uh, I imagine like breaking that out into different topics and creating each episode. Yeah. But how much time does it take? Like, what does that process look like? It's uh, it's hard to say how much time it's taken total. It takes me probably about a week. Like if if this were just a regular job, you know, nine to five, it would take me a full work week to make an episode. Um, and so the process looks like, I think I alluded to this earlier, but the skits first, you know, we make the skits and then, um, you know, we collect the interviews all, you know, try to collect them all around the same time so that they're talking about similar things or similar stuff happening in the world. Um, and yeah, we play the skits. Like we had a spreadsheet where we were like, we're going to play these skits for these people. And we were very meticulous about like, okay, do we have enough black women that have heard this skit? Have we had enough white men that have heard this one? And it's like, yeah, we had a spreadsheet for that. And so once we had all those conversations, (laughs) then we were like, okay, let's listen to them and start picking out things that are really interesting and categorize the things we pick out by what they're talking about. So if someone says something really interesting about like finance or like how expensive climbing is, I'll title it like, Marion finance one. And then like at the end of that, I've cut up all these conversations and I've got these giant ass folders of stuff that's organized by what people are saying. And then from there we can make the actual episode. And then that's just, you know, um, we pick, I think we interviewed 13 people for each like skit. We pick the person who had what we believe to be the best conversation around it. So like, Um, I'm just going to keep using episode one as an example. Dom, we thought was the best person, not just for the Black Square episode, but also just her energy was perfect to start the podcast Mm. with because, you know, it's like this you you can feel like the the like friendship and the like shared experience in how we talk to each other. But also like she's a black woman. I'm a black man. So there's there's a little bit of me learning from her experience, but also just sharing in this like, yeah, just what it means to be a black climber. So yeah, we pick the person and then we pick segments of their interview that we really like. And then we stitch together the cuts, like the super cuts are what we call them. All those, you know, the voices going around. We just pick out from that folder I mentioned earlier um, and try to make them all kind of tie together. 
And then uh, if I haven't made the music already, I make the music. And then and then it's just like basically mixing a song. Like you just, you have all the pieces there and then you've got to EQ everybody's voice and EQ the music and smooth everything out and listen to it in the car a few times. And I've been talking for a while, but that just shows you how much, how much goes into it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I love it, man. I mean, you do the music, you write all mm. or almost all of the music in the show and it's, I mean, just wrapping my head around that. Um, I, I actually don't know if you know this about me, but I was a music major and studied no. composition. Holy yeah. shit. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I studied music and engineering, just did a double major, two completely different directions. But yeah, I grew up playing music and I wanted to, um, I just got sucked into music theory and writing and thought it was so interesting. But like, I keep wanting to return to music because it's so yeah. easy now to to produce music with software and you know, a, a MIDI keyboard, yep. you need almost nothing. And I never do it because it just takes so much time and so much energy. And it's just, you know, it's the thing on my bucket list that I never quite get to, you know, pursuing my own climbing and doing this show and wanting to have mm -hmm. some semblance of like a normal social life and things. So I'm yeah. so impressed by that. Like, and I want to hear where that comes from. I assume that the music goes back way before. Well, actually, I know it does um, from yeah. just your Instagram and things. But yeah, where'd that come from? How did you get into that? Yeah, so I, I've i always loved music. Um, my my parents are both very musical people. My My parents weren't together when I was born. I didn't meet my father till I was like maybe 13 or 14. But he... It's really weird, actually. So I grew up playing the violin and he also played the violin when he was uh, my age. Um, and so, yeah, but that to say, like, he's a very musical person. My mom loves music. She's like where a lot of my music taste comes from. Um, so I've always loved it. And I I started playing the violin when I was like eight or nine. And I think I started rapping when I was like 13 or 14. Whenever College drop it, Dropout came out, that's when I started <laughs> rapping. Nice. <laughs> um, um, and yeah, I did that for a very, I mean, I have worked on, I, I've been thinking about that actually. Um, but I think rapping is probably like the thing that I would say that I'm best at, or at least the thing that I've worked the most at, you know, like it's, I, I mean, I've filled notebook upon notebook of just like practicing and, um, yeah, I, I wanted to be a rapper for a very long time. I mean, I still do. Um, uh, but the, for, at one point that was all I wanted to do and, to your point earlier, making music itself was not that easy. Like I had like a four track recorder <laughs> and, and, uh, that was about it. Like I didn't have equipment or anything like that. And, uh, yeah, I just want to underline for you that it's so much easier now. Mm. Like I've got like, I've got two drum machines like in my room right now. And it's basically just like a big, I mean, you know what it is. It's like the thing that Jay Dilla like pushes the buttons and it's like, makes the drum sounds like it makes it 10 times easier to make like the act of making music is so much easier now because I can just plug up this big ass keyboard and just push a bunch of buttons and it makes music. Um, now you need to have the experience to do that, like to actually make something. But yeah, like I've always wanted to make music and for a while I didn't know what I wanted to make it about. And so that's where the climbing rap comes from. And then like this podcast has just been a great way for me to constantly need to make music and Chris's and I's podcast too. I make all the music for that one too. So oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a constant source of like, okay, we need something for this or, 
oh, like this beat I made a year ago fits this perfectly. And yeah, yeah. So music is definitely, I'd say, like my first love, like slash number one most favorite thing to do. I love it, man. And yeah, you have your hands in so many different things. I'd love to hear more about what your life looks like these days. I mean, I, I yeah, and something that's actually, yeah, I'll just leave it open and, and we can start with that. But what are some of the other things that you are doing? I know you have like seven different jobs or something that you're <laughs> using to <laughs> piecemeal an income. I mean, so. Honestly, yeah. <laughs> so, so the two podcasts, um, I have a third podcast that I'm working on right now. Um, <laughs> it's not, <laughs> I know, I know. It's, it's a podcast that... Do we need to do just, an intervention, Devin? <laughs> we, we might actually have to. I mean, so if you ever talk to Chris or uh, Mario about me, they'll tell you like, that they're like my babysitters in a lot of ways. Like they, I've, they've told me that they talk back and forth. They're like, how's Devin doing? Like, is he doing too many things again? Is he about to burn out? Like, let's, <laughs> right. let's check in on him and make sure. I don't know what it is about me, dude. I just, I just love to do a lot of stuff. But, uh, um, so I have a third podcast. It's totally different than the other two. It's, um, it's focused on the local watershed of Indianapolis and just trying to educate people on different things that affect their water quality and also ways that they can advocate at a local government level to protect their water. Um, And just, it's kind of similar to American Climbing Project in the sense of like just showing people all of these historical things about the way we use water that may not necessarily be that great. And we're literally just doing it because they did it a thousand years ago, Mm. you know? Like um, you'd be surprised how many things um, I at least I was surprised how many things that we're we're still doing or are okay to do that are just like not necessarily right. Mm, mm. And so, so I have that. I'm a writer, so I write for Climbing Business Journal, and I also write for the Climbing Zine. Climbing Zine I've been writing for for at least six years, but Climbing Business Journal it's only been about a year. Gosh, what else do I what else do I do? I um, <laughs> it's hard to keep track sometimes. Uh, <laughs> I, I also am a music producer, so sometimes th- this is a little bit more infrequent, but I'll make music for people's podcasts or commercials or videos or uh, YouTube channels, social media, like just pretty much anytime I can find an odd end job where someone's like, hey, I need some music, I do it. And I think those are the only things I do that pay money. But other than that, I do a lot of other stuff. Like I love, I'm, I'm a, an artist, you know, I like to draw, I like to you know, climbing, obviously. Uh, and L, oh, I guess this is pretty important. I'm a route setter. <laughs> not... <laughs> Wait, you're a paid route setter right now? Not right now. Okay. Uh, so, so COVID stopped that. Okay. Um, and actually it was, it was so good for me because I really needed to get away from route setting. It was, it was burning me out and I really needed to step back and separate my personal climbing from my professional career. Uh, but I am, after going to CWA, I'm like, oh man, I kind of want to set again. And honestly, I need the money. So yeah, like um, I'm I'm going to get back into it, but it's not going to be like full time. I'll probably set like pretty much, you know, for like a gym opening or like if someone has a comp or maybe I go visit somewhere and I, and I can guest set. That's honestly something that I've wanted to do for a long time of like not being a consistent route setter at a gym, but basically making a set, making route setting a part of how I travel Mm. of like, oh, I'll go to Phoenix, Arizona and set at my friend's gym. And then I'll collect an interview for the podcast. And 
just live like that. But yeah, those are the, those are the things I do mostly. It's still, I'm still working out the balance of it and trying not to have such a hectic, like I've got to juggle all these different things, but um, I don't know. I also kind of like that. Yeah. Well, it's amazing, man. I, I wanted to ask more about your own climbing because you chose to make like, you know, the American climbing project is a climbing podcast and it's not a climbing podcast. Like, of course it is, right. but I listened to a whole season. Like you don't actually talk about the act of climbing that much. It's just like, yeah, these important conversations in this community that you love. One of my favorite episodes is episode two. <laughs> and it, it made me like the, the questions that I was writing down when I was driving in my van um, back to Washington and listening to this and, and just getting really curious about you is I wanted to know what your maybe you could describe what episode two is for people that haven't listened. Um, mm -hmm. I'm sure you can do a better job of describing it than me. And then I, it made me curious, like, what did your introduction to climbing look like? And I would love ah. to hear you describe your experience from your own perspective. I don't, I have no idea. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if it was indoors, outdoors, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so episode two, it's called the great equalizer. It's about, it's about breaking apart that statement and, and what that actually means. You know, a lot of people will say rock climbing is the great equalizer or that it it's a true meritocracy uh, where everyone is equal and the rock doesn't care if you're white or black. And, and so it was a lot about breaking that down and, and mostly focusing on gyms, which I think are the primary entry point at this point to rock climbing. Most people aren't just walking up to El Cap and going, huh, how do I do that? Um, <laughs> for sure, for sure. Maybe, maybe some people are, but, um, but yeah, so it's, it's about, it's about uh, challenging this idea of like, is climbing really a, an equalizer, you know, like does everybody have access to climbing gyms and also just touching on the fact that climbing gyms often take advantage of marginalized communities when they build their climbing gyms, you know, like Rob, again, freaking genius. He made these graphs for me or these diagrams that showed all of the climbing gyms that, and, and overlaid it with 1960s red line maps. So wow. it's pretty I'm sure you can guess where climbing gyms tend to build. <laughs> um, and so it's just this ironic juxtaposition of this business that claims to be about community, but it's building effectively on the ashes of another community that isn't even a part of their consumer base. Like, mm. you know, like everyone's like, oh, black people just don't want to climb, but we're building climbing gyms in black neighborhoods, <laughs> you know, like we're building them in these industrial like dead zones. Um, and making it super inaccessible. So yeah, anyway, um, you can listen to the episode. Obviously, I'm, I am passionate about it and I could talk forever. Um, but for me, my first experience with climbing was in college. Um, I went to Ball State and uh, in 2010, they built a new student rec center that had a climbing wall in it. And um, actually, dude, I didn't even want to go. My, my friend... <laughs> My friend wanted to get belay certified and he needed someone to climb for him. So that's why I went. I was at that point, I was like, I was the furthest thing from a rock climber. I was, I was not outdoorsy, really. I did scouts, but I didn't really like being outdoors. I definitely didn't like heights. And yeah, I thought climbing was like, that's just crazy white people shit. Why would I do that? <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but uh, yeah, you know, and this is, 
I guess this is going to be telling why I value community so much. The reason I kept climbing was not necessarily the sport, but the people there were super cool, man. Like I really, I really liked them. I really liked spending time with them. And it was probably the first time that I felt like I had a, a solid group of friends, you know, like people that accepted me for who I was, you know, growing up, I didn't necessarily fit in with anybody, you know, like, I, I guess like, I don't know. I, I want to be careful about how I say this. Um, Cause being, I, I think that being intelligent and black is a little bit more accepted now. I, I don't want it to sound like, you know, black people aren't smart, obviously. I'm just saying that like me being who I am, I didn't really fit in with black kids. You know, I wasn't like a, a tough kid. I wasn't a, a very macho kid. And there's just like a lot of, um, I mean, there's a lot of internalized stuff from, you know, slavery and all that about like the idea of like the black man being this tough, impenetrable thing. Mm. Um, and I'm not that I'm super soft. Like it's like that John Mulaney joke of like, you could spill soup in my lap and I'll probably say sorry to you. <laughs> um, that's me. <laughs> he was talking. I haven't heard me. that. <laughs> um, and so, so I didn't fit in with the kids that were around me growing up. Um, and I most certainly did not fit in with the white kids that I was going to school with when I was a teenager. So like I spent most of my childhood around in like black neighborhoods, black everything. And then when I was in high school, I was mostly around white kids and yeah, I didn't fit in either. I talked different than them. I dressed different. I was literally so different from them. And so I'm, I'm telling you all that to say that climbing was the first time that people like it felt like people genuinely accepted me and they didn't see me as weird. You know, they didn't, they didn't like, Oh, wow. You talk so good for a black man. And they also didn't like, you know, make homophobic jokes about me because I'm, because I'm a, a sensitive person. Mm. Um, we've had, God, how far have we come? Right. That like, remember when like yeah. being sensitive meant that you were gay and remember when being gay was like something to be af afraid of. Apparently. Yeah. Like, somewhat, I, yeah. Yeah. It's totally it's so wild, dude. And, and I still, I feel like I'm still unpacking a lot of that from, I mean, it's, it's so prevalent in black culture, but anyway, yeah. Yeah. I guess climbing just was the first time I felt like I was accepted and I just wanted, I didn't care what it really took. I just wanted to be around that more. And, and once I got over my fear of heights and uh, started climbing more, I found that I really liked it. And actually what I will tell you is that I knew that I was going to be a climber forever when I went outside for the first time. So like climbing in the red and like learning how to lead and clean. And I just remember being at the top of dynamite, it's this five, nine that's at the great arch, I think. And just like cleaning off the route and listening to birds and shit and like looking out at the gorge. And I'm like, I don't, and I just, I know I told myself back then 11 years ago, like, I don't care what it I have to do, but I'm going to make this my life. Like I'm going to be a climber forever. And so, yeah, from there, I was like, how the fuck do I become like a perfect, not a professional climber in the sense of like an elite athlete, but how do I be do this for a living? And route setting was the answer. And so that's um, where my route setting career came from. So, yeah. I, lo I love it, man. Thanks for sharing all that. And uh, yeah, of course. I, I wanted to ask you about this, this little quote. You, you said something at the end of episode two. You said climbing changed my life. And um, I wonder what that brings up for you, if there's anything you want to expand on as far as that statement goes. Yeah. Um, well, I did, as I said earlier, um, 
I was not, I was not really in a good place at that point of life. I mean, I was, I was very depressed, like prior to actually prior to me getting into climbing, I had, um, I had like drafted my suicide note and my friends uh, like knew that I was going to kill myself. And so they, they got me into a therapist and, uh, and obviously I'm in a better place now, but at that time, dude, I was just like, so lost. Like I, I was I didn't know what I wanted. I didn't really feel accepted anywhere. I didn't really see like the things that I wanted in life coming to fruition, you know, like wasn't going to become like some super famous rapper. Wasn't gonna, I don't know. I just felt like I didn't really fit in anywhere. You know, like, like I was telling you from growing up, I just didn't, I just didn't feel like I wanted to be here anymore. And climbing was a huge, huge part of me, like rebuilding myself and, figuring out what I wanted to be as an adult, you know, I mean, it started with having a place where I had friends and like a consistent activity, of course. Um, But then it just evolved into like, yeah, going outside and being like, holy crap, like I actually love this and I've never been exposed to it. How do I make this my life? And then, yeah, from there, it just like kept, it kept like inspire me to do other things that I wouldn't have otherwise do. I I think that's probably one of the biggest things climbing ever gave me is just the courage to do things that seem scary or weird. Mm. Um, Cause actually, so the year after I like started climbing, um, I studied architecture. I don't know if I told you that. No, <laughs> um, but there was this, um, <laughs> so there was this uh, study abroad program at Ball State. Um, it's, uh, it's literally called world tour actually, but Uh, The idea was that you would spend a semester literally traveling the world and studying architecture. So you would go, my trip went to 26 countries and 60 cities in a semester. So that was the premise. And my, um, it was, it was something that I never would have done had I not been a climber already, because it was, it sounded terrifying, you know, like this idea, I had never traveled really much as a kid. Uh, I mean, we didn't have money, but like, yeah, I just hadn't traveled really in America, much less, you know, we're talking about going to China, Mongolia and Russia and all these places. And yeah, climbing was really the, honestly, the reason that I even considered doing it of like, oh, this is scary, but like you've done scary things before and it look how it turned out. And that trip is like one of the biggest influences on my life now of why I want to travel all the time and why I'm so interested in like, language and culture and people is that trip. So yeah, climbing literally just changed the course of my life because it just, it was like, a. first of all, it saved my life. Second of all, it sort of like instilled this way of thinking about life of like preferring to have experiences over trying to get it right. You know what I mean? Like, I think, I think mm. uh, this is my personal opinion. I think a great life is just having as many experiences as you can, good or bad. Um, and just having that depth of like knowing, uh, going through things, like having like, oh, that was super fun or, ah, oh, shit, I definitely shouldn't have took that job. That shit sucked. Um, it just gives you the spectrum of life and, and you're able to appreciate good things and bad things. Um, and so, yeah, I just, climbing is the soul. Like that's what taught me that. And so, yeah, I definitely, it's not a stretch to say that climbing saved my life and definitely not to say it changed it. Well, that, that is beautiful, man. Um, I, I, yeah. 
I don't know you that well. I didn't know about the depression. I didn't know about the suicide note. I really appreciate you sharing that. And I just think that's... Was that too heavy? I'm sorry. (laughs) No, no, it's not. That's your, that's, you lived that, you know, that's your experience. And um, I always want to and, and hope to make people feel comfortable enough on this show to talk about the real shit that they have gone through. Um, I don't think it does anyone any good to to soften those edges and sugarcoat things like that. Um, and it's just, I mean, yeah, what a, what a positive, I don't want to say ending because life's a journey, but that's just, right. that's amazing. Yeah. Thanks, man. Thanks for sharing. Of course, that. man. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm glad to, I think it's important to talk about these things. You know, I, I always have to ask like, oh, is that too heavy? Cause I just, my default is always going to be to like, you know, be vulnerable to share things about myself or like to that may be weird or embarrassing, not out of social context, obviously, but you get what I mean. Like I, I like to, I like, I like the depth that people offer. Um, and so I like that. I, I, I want to embody that myself. And that's something, you know, that my mom has always taught me. Um, it's just never be afraid to like share your feelings. And like, if you don't tell people how you feel, no one's going to know except you, you know? Mm. So um, just being able to like ask for what you want and like say how you feel about something. Say if something pisses you off, you know, like, um, yeah, I just think that's important. So thanks, man. Uh, I feel I feel the exact same way. Um, <laughs> I love that. That's awesome, dude. And there's I've done I've done more than enough episodes on finger training. So I love <laughs> I was excited to talk <laughs> to you, you for that one more. <laughs> yeah, sure. I, and I'm I'm absolutely will. I'm sure I will. But. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me about your training routine, Devin. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I thought you meant that. I was like, yeah, I, I can. <laughs> no, dude, I just, I I mean, that really is why I was so excited to talk to you. Like I, I had no, I have nothing on my, aside from what we just talked about and hearing how you got into climbing, I don't have any other notes on here about your climbing. Um, yeah. If, if there's anything you want to share, I'm totally open to it. But no, I just, I get that sense from you. I think that's, I mean, I think one of the one of the greatest things, one of the biggest things that everyone struggles with in our current age is just feeling alone, you know? And, and yeah. um, we're so inundated with these brightly colored and polished success stories on Instagram all the time and things like that. Right. Like, there's there's so much value, I think, in just being real and honest and um and kind of giving people a glimpse behind the curtain when it's, you know, when it's your messy life that you could just as easily hide. Um, so yeah, I, I, I yeah. just appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and honestly, I think, you know, sharing my own experiences with climbing just underlines why I, I believe so strongly that it's important that we provide access to as many people as possible. What if I hadn't had climbing, you know, mm. like how, slash how many other people have are in that place that could really use climbing you know that climbing is more okay so i love training and i love climbing hard and and like i i think that's a great aspect of climbing but climbing is so much more than a a physical contest Mm. it's it's a it's a, a mental journey it's um it's a therapy it's a way to meet friends it's a way to explore it's a it's a reason to travel there's so many other ways to celebrate why climbing is awesome. And there's so many other purposes for it besides climbing hard. And so, yeah, I just, it's like this miracle drug that we're just like, 
we're just like crushing and snorting and not like, you know what I mean? Like we're not really like, like taking it in for what it's worth. I feel like as a community, I'm not saying everyone isn't valuing it, but do you get what I mean? I feel like there's just so much more that climbing has to offer us as a, as a community. And we're just not taking advantage of it by, you know, having it be inaccessible and having it be solely focused on shirtless white guy, 19 climbs hardest thing, you know, like Mm -hmm, it's just, mm -hmm. um, and I love those films too. I'm just saying, yeah, I I feel like I always have to qualify that, that I'm not saying that it's wrong to celebrate physical accomplishments. I'm just saying there's like, it's a small piece of the pie, you know? Yeah. There's, there's room for a lot of other things to highlight and appreciate about our sport. Absolutely. Yeah. You, this actually is reminding me of a conversation two of my friends had, um, like one of my, one of my friends from out in Portland, she is, she's very much like, she loves climbing, but she's not necessarily in it to be strong. And, and another one of my friends is like a hardcore trainer and like, just, he just couldn't understand, like, why would you not want to climb hard? And she's like, I just, because that's not what's valuable about it for me. Just like climbing for fun is not something I expect out of you because that's not what you get out of it. And that's, that's like the beauty of climbing is we can get out of it, whatever we want, you know? Um, And so, yeah, just leaving room for that and expanding upon the sport, I think is, I think that's the next step for us. I love it, man. Well, I want to circle back to episode two and breaking down this great equalizer phrase, because I know you are passionate about it. And I actually, you kind of checked yourself earlier, but I I would actually (laughs) love to hear more of your thoughts. Because I, because, you know, I think the reason I appreciated that episode so much is is because it's it's very easy for me to understand that there's there are barriers that keep marginalized people from being introduced to rock climbing, especially indoor gym climbing. Um, the, mm-hmm. the the thing that's really obvious is the price tag, right? Like, yeah, it's a hundred dollars for a month membership. Sometimes a lot more than that, and <laughs> you you just there's there's so many other reasons why marginalized people don't feel welcome necessarily the first time they walk into a climbing gym. And I just wanted to get some of your your take on that. But I want to mention the skit that you started <laughs> off that episode with. It was this fake advertisement for a place called Snowflake Rock, like a brand new climbing gym in this urban area. And dude, you, so you're talking about like, everyone's welcome. The only things you need to come climb here are a harness and climbing (laughs) shoes and a chalk bag and expendable income and a 1994 Subaru. Dude, you, you killed me with that line because I had a, I had a 2000 Subaru Outback forever and a puffy jacket that's really expensive that looks like you hate it. (laughs) Yeah, because it's trash. Yeah. (laughs) I love, I love that, man. But it's, it's interesting to hear that your early experience in a climbing gym felt so welcoming and you finally found people that could just accept you for who you are. And it made me curious, like putting this episode together, what are some of the stories that you hear or things that you've observed that give many black people, other marginalized people, the opposite experience? Like what is it that you've seen or or experienced third hand or whatever, where someone walks yeah. into a climbing gym and just feels like, man, I don't belong here. This isn't my place. Like what's, what's going on? Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. I, so first, I think it's super important to underline that I did have a very different experience than a lot of Black people do when they go climbing. I, I think, and, and honestly, that colored my perception of climbing. I thought that climbing was this great equalizer and that no one cared if you were Black or white because that was my experience. Um, but then like, like, I think this is part of, you know, having experiences once you live life and you talk to enough people, um, you start to realize, oh shit, like I'm the outlier. Like I had the, I had a good experience. Not everyone does. And yeah, like, I think that's been, it's still something I'm learning from. I mean, just, you know, a lot of it comes from, I mean, the obvious answer is, you know, talking to black people who climb in gyms and they're the only black person that's. That's like the easy thing to point to. Um, but then, you know, I have friends right now that are climbing at gyms that where people are like openly, like not racist in the sense of like what people think of like cross burning racist, but they'll like joke about their hair or like, you know, or like say these really like point what I believe are pointed microaggressions. Um, that I just am like, I can't believe people still say shit like this. And, and I'm just really fortunate that I'm not around those kind of people. Um, but even do just like, polit- like, uh, you know, we talk about quote unquote political climates of, you know, going into a gym and, and I'm, I'm recounting from some conversations I've had with a friend of mine, but just going into a gym where like the politics of the place are not necessarily comfortable for you you know, as a black person, a a brown person, a marginalized person at all, politics are more than just like a talking point. Like this is your, your life. And so, you know, if you're around people that are like, oh, but don't all lives matter. And like, you just hear that around you all the time. No one may be talking to you or like doing something to you, but you can just like an environment like that is not is not a place that you want to do a dangerous activity, <laughs> you know, right, right. like climbing is in inher- That's another thing, dude, is like climbing is inherently dangerous. And I think that we forget that because we climb all the time, but you're not going to like, it's already stressful enough to be in this situation that is like, I could hurt or kill myself, but then you're going to add like, oh, and then also like the people around me may not necessarily like me magnify that times 20. If you're going to the South or like, some super backwoods rural area and there's fucking confederate flags and shit everywhere and like you don't have service like mm. and then you're supposed to like push past the run out <laughs> like, <when you're, laughs> like while you're while you're thinking of all that shit like right you know what i mean like so right. um i don't know if i'm answering your question but I, I guess just i'm trying to highlight that like and this is what the episode's about really is that climbing is not the same for you as it is for everyone else. And I say you as in like the royal you, like it, we all experience it differently. And just because you can come into the gym and you have the means to access it doesn't mean it's accessible for everyone. And and also like you said the pricing and I'm, I'm glad you pointed that out. Cause like, that's another thing too, is like a lot of people, a lot of gym owners, when they're like, oh, we wanna make our gym more diverse. They, their first answer is to make it cheaper as if there aren't like wealthy or at least like black people with expendable income that aren't coming to the gym. Mm. There's a lot more. So that just even further highlights, it's not just money. It's the environment that you're in. It's like, do you actually, does your gym actually want black people in it? And I'm using black people, but this goes for, you know, queer, adaptive, you know, neurodivergent, all of the, the groups of people that are, you know, quote unquote, different than the norm. 
um yeah do they feel welcome you know like is it it's not just about like oh the door's open come on into this super like host like potentially hostile space for you i mean it just it's not to this extreme but it just makes me think like it'd be like right after the pool's desegregated being like all right black people you can swim here now yeah we're we're not saying you can't come anymore Yeah, yeah, we're not exactly. We're not saying you can't come anymore. <laughs> like that's that's the only difference. Mm-hmm. And and I mean climbing, I mean climbing was never like black people aren't allowed to climb, but just because of when it developed and like what was going on when climbing became popular, black people aren't in it, you know? And so it's not a matter of they're not they're intentional. Well, I mean, I guess depending on where you go, right? If you're if you're climbing in, like, like I said, if you're climbing in a rural area and it's like openly racist, like that's different, but like gyms in general are not like saying that people that are, can't come. It's just a matter of all the implicit things around it. Right. Right. Totally. I mean, even like our perception of climbing history and where it came from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're, you're talking about like, you're talking about risk and danger, but it's, it's not even necessarily that it's like, it's discomfort, right? Like I feel really drawn to this dis- this discomfort that I experience with climbing because it pushes me and allows me to challenge myself and grow. But mm-hmm. I think I feel really drawn to that because I don't really have any discomfort in the rest of my life, yeah, right? Exactly. And like that's that's how climbing started. It was it was affluent white people that had the the space and like the bandwidth in their life to lean into that discomfort because their lives were really boring. They had like everything else (laughs) taken care of, right? And like when I think about, um, like hearing your episode, hearing you guys talk about the history of Yosemite, it's it's really almost, I almost feel embarrassed that I'd never connected the dots, but it just is what it is. I just never thought about it this way, but I, I love history. I know a lot about the history of Yosemite climbing and that has done so much to shape the way I view climbing in this country at least. And there's no black climbers in those chapters of the history book because that's when the civil rights movement was going on. Like there were no black people, like you guys say this thing in the podcast, like we were busy, you know, yeah. <laughs> we were busy. We, we didn't have time to go climb the sides of mountains. So. Yeah. And we couldn't have, if we wanted to, yeah. um, cause that's the other thing too, is one of, one of my favorite arguments that I get, uh, or was getting when we were sharing that episode in particular is people would be like, well, not all black people were fighting for their rights and not all white people were climbing. And it's like, that's not what we're saying. We're saying that at the time that climbing was becoming popular, black people may not have even been allowed in Yosemite National Park. And you're expecting them to, even if they were allowed, dude, like what's a black person in 1958 going to do in the middle of the fucking woods? <laughs> it, it, you know, like it, it, it just it's the most dangerous situation you could put yourself in possibly and so you're gonna go there to like do what is argued what is even more dangerous of an activity in a dangerous environment no so it's not about the fact it's not just that black people were fighting for their rights it's also that it doesn't make sense for the time like that we were living in for a black person to want to go do and and there probably are some black climbers or there are probably some people that we're climbing, you know, like actually my, my father, uh, always, he always tells me this story about when he was in the army in the black Hills and how he like, 
<laughs> he was crazy, man. But he, uh, <laughs> he, he like, he just like him and his friend just like free soloed something in the Black Hills, like just because they were like, oh, I, I bet we could climb that, and they just like did it. And like, what? Are, so, so okay, there, there were some black people that were climbing, but yeah, like, like you said, it's, it's like the majority of us were busy, and those of us who weren't were not like thinking about putting ourselves in danger. And I'm so glad you said the thing about discomfort. Cause actually one of our episodes, someone says that exactly. And, and I hadn't thought about it that way until she said that, but it was like eye opening of like, Oh, Holy shit. Yeah. Like black people's lives are risky. Like just being alive is risky. Why would you then go add more risk upon that? So of course, like it seems I think the question I had asked was why, why do we think, why do we grow up as black people thinking that adventure sports are white people shit? And it's, Mm. I mean, there's, there's no, like, I can't scientifically tell you that that's why, but I think it's pretty hard to ignore the fact that like, yeah, like black people don't intentionally go out of their way to do dangerous things usually because their life is dangerous. So yeah. Well, just, Mm -hmm. uh, just some thoughts. (laughs) Something that I was just thinking about or remembering is, in episode two, you're talking about like how, you know, your experience as a black man is going to be different from mine as a white man, or, you know, we're all having different experiences going into the gym. So just recognize that. But then you said something about going outdoor climbing and like, I think you said that you can't remember like a single time when you went outdoor rock climbing with just an entire group of black climbers. Yeah. You know, so yeah. like your experience alongside a white person is going to be very different from your experience alongside other black people. And hundred percent. When I think about the Red River Gorge, you know, I have the, I have the the privilege of being able to navigate that part of our country, and you know, like going in out of in and out of Slade, Kentucky, and seeing yeah. Trump signs and Confederate flags and things, and not have to worry about being fearful for my life. And I. God, it it just like, like stopping to actually reflect on that. Like, what does it look like for you to just go have a day of rock climbing at the most popular sport climbing crag in this country? Yeah. And that, yeah, I mean, that's like, that's another one of those really obvious things that was right in front of me that just hit differently listening to your show. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I also want to tell you that that's not even something that I necessarily understood early on. I can give you a great example of this, actually. So on my first climbing trip, one of my fondest like memories that always sticks out is this moment where we were like me and my group of like that we were climbing with. We were talking with these locals and we traded some some weed for some of their moonshine <laughs> and and it was just this very genuine interaction and like you know i'm i'm this wide-eyed kid like oh man there's rocks everywhere and then and then we're also like we've got this like authentic shine <laughs> and so 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 that was a super cool memory that i will always treasure but if i were to put myself back in that situation with all black people it has a totally different sort of feel to it you know mm. what i mean like i'm not going to have that conversation with that person i'm not like me i'm not going to talk to a stranger a local stranger in this area like this wooded area um cuz like you just feel exposed and i'm not saying that the person would have been like violent i'm just trying to explain how my mood is different based upon the situation because I, I think just implicitly I was I felt comfortable because I was with three other white dudes. Mm-hmm. Um and even though we didn't know this other person, I'm like, ah, oh, but you know, like 
at least there's like a group of white people with me. And, and I, and, you know, um, this was actually a big turning point for me in 2020. I, I sat down in this, um, or I listened to this virtual panel of three like black outdoor experts that have been doing it forever. Like Chad Brown, James Edward Mills, and gosh, I can't remember the woman's name is this black woman. That's a hunter. Um, but yeah, I was, we were just listening to them talk about their experience and the, the woman, it's so ironic. I can't remember her name. Cause it's the quote I remember is from her is she said, I would never go hunting without a white person, mm. like just point blank. I've been hunting for 25 years, still would not ever dream of hunting without a white person with me. And I started, that's what made me realize like, shit, I've always climbed with other white people. Like I've never, I've never even climbed with another black person outside. You know what I mean? Um, and so, but then I was like, well, what if it was like five black people and, and just instantly gut reaction I was like, hell no, I wouldn't do that. Are you mm. crazy? Mm. And that was like, really, honestly, like kind of heartbreaking. Like I've been at that point, I've been climbing for 10 years. Like this is my, this is my safe space, right? Like this is my comfortable, like what I love to do and just still realizing that it was not ever going to feel that way. Like it was never going to truly be safe. Mm. Um, and that was really difficult to like internalize, but it was important because it just kind of reminded me of like, yeah, don't get like too comfortable because in, at the end of the day, you're still kind of putting yourself at risk. And, you know, like, I don't know. I think as climbers, we, we kind of learn to or at least like we're, we're kind of taught to shrug off danger and like not be scared. Um, but I think it's really important. I think fear is healthy. You know, I think you, it's good to be afraid of the thing because the thing can hurt you, you know, like, and, and that could just go for regular climbing, you know, like um, I think it's way more valuable to, to be afraid of something and still do it than it is to just like, Oh, I just don't get scared. Um, and so I say that to say that me climbing, even though I'm afraid of the places I go to is very important. I think that's super important. I don't think everyone should have to do it, but I think it's important that I do it despite the fact that I don't feel welcomed or that I I'm scared of the situation, you know? Yeah. And I'm, I'm sure that in some way it informs the work you're doing now, you know, like it, mm -hmm. it reminds you that work still needs to be done. Um, yeah. 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 I, I want to, I want to go to that next actually is, I want, I'm really curious how this has been received. And I know that you have made some real changes in the climbing industry already through this show, which is so yeah. cool. So I wonder if you could tell the Halloween episode story. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is like my, my crowning achievement in life. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> so the, the, the Halloween episode, it, first of all, it's probably my favorite episode. Um, it's a, we're making fun of tales from the crypt. It's just tales from the crag. And this episode is just skits. Like we just, you know, tales from the crypt that have like three short stories. So that's what we did. And the first episode is, uh, is, uh, about photo releases and, and climbing gym waivers. Um, and this is kind of a dropped ball on my end, but a lot of people didn't realize that I was basing it on a true story that that skit is real and it can happen to you. Can you describe that in a little bit more detail? So someone yeah. goes to the gym for the first time, they have to fill out a waiver. Yep. They have to fill out a waiver. And a lot of times climbing gyms will include a photo release in the waiver so that they can take pictures of whoever they want, you know, like during business hours. And it's not like a 
they can put up a, like if they put up a picture of a, of the gym during business hours, they can't be sued because the person's like, well, I didn't say that you can use my likeness. Um, so, and, and this is, uh, usually like a lot of gyms do this in regular practice, but it's especially true for comps. I mean, obviously, you know, they want to be able to take photos of competitors, but the problem with that is that you end up, particularly if you're a, a black person or maybe like an adaptive climber or something that strikes people as quote unquote unique or diverse, you're going to end up on advertisements for gyms that you maybe climbed at one time. Mm. or that you don't even necessarily like, you know, because you signed a photo release, they can use your image regardless. So I'll give you two examples of that. One, um, one is a more benign one. I climbed at a gym one time for a comp in Oregon. It was a very small gym. And um, two years later, a friend of mine like texted me and is like, they're still using your image in their ads. And I've literally climbed at this gym one time. And I'm like the poster boy for this (laughs) gym. (laughs) So it's kind of silly, but it doesn't really bother me. I'm like, whatever. I mean, I know why they're doing it. They want to make it look more diverse, even though Oregon is 6% black, <laughs> which is double of what it was like a few years ago. But so that's the, ben- the quote unquote benign version. That's still really not that great. Um, but another example that's actually more heinous is a friend of mine. She used to climb at this gym. She really hates its practices and like how it treats its employees. She doesn't climb there anymore. They not only still used her photos in their ads, but they were putting it up in like fucking subway, like billboard size ads of, of my friend. And she hates this gym. You have to understand, like it, 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 she hates this gym and they're still using and she's told them to take down the ads. Like she's like, I didn't like, I don't agree with you. I don't want to be in your ads. And they just keep coming back to, well, you signed this photo release. Um, wow. so yeah, that shit is real. It, it does happen. It is happening. It has happened. And so I made the skit, you know, like basically talking about that. It's the, it's like this black guy signs a gym waiver and, um, you know, his ad, his face starts popping up on all this shit that he doesn't agree with. And so, yeah, it seems silly, but it's real. But anyway, I made the, I made the thing. And then a day later, I had a friend, I had a couple of friends actually, but one friend called me and was like, Hey, I just wanted to tell you that the, the ice park that we're going to like, that I have ties with just changed their waiver because <laughs> like, I don't know if they heard the skit or if someone that worked there heard it and was like, Oh shit, this is bad. Um, but they like changed, they separated their photo release from their waiver And so now you can sign your safety waiver because that's the thing that I think is important to say about this is that it's different. Like signing a photo release is one thing, but it's another when you literally have to sign the photo release to climb at the gym. Right. Right. I think is bullshit. I don't think that you should be forced to sign over your quote unquote likeness and image in perpetuity to climb at a gym like right. uh, it, it, this. And this is for your first time, dude. You may not even ever want to climb again, but still have your fucking face <laughs> on a on a climbing ad. Like, yeah. isn't that crazy? Yeah. Um, and have no idea. Like, that's the other thing is like. Yeah. And not be told. <laughs> like, I wonder how many people listening to this have ever actually read the waiver that they're signing at the gym. I certainly never have. Yeah, I've never dude. read it. You know, it's like scroll down. Where's the accept button? Like, I just want to climb. Yeah. The only reason that I have read the waiver is because I have worked for a climbing gym and I know that they put photo releases in them. Um, so, and, and, and again, like this is a, a, we're talking about experience. 
as a white person, that may not be a problem for you. You're like, oh, whatever. If they use my face on an ad, I don't care. It's not a big deal. But for a black person, it is a big deal because it's different. Like you're, you know, you're, you're being commodified basically. Like you're being like, Hey, look, our gym's diverse. Black people come climb. And there is some, some value, some value in that, but it's different when like, you know, like they're just taking advantage of black people climbing at their gym once for a comp or something like that. And then like leaning on this like false positive of like legality because that's another yeah that's like another thing is like not everything that's a law is like right right you know like just because because that's like the thing that people kept saying is like oh well you signed the photo release like it's legally blind it's like not like slavery used to be legal y'all like it's not necessarily a right thing to do but yeah like so that and then like a couple other and then my friend actually had like they finally took down her ads after that. Um, and, and it wasn't just me. I want to be clear. It was, it was her talking about it, the skit. And then coincidentally, Kai Leitner published a blog talking about this very thing. Like I'm telling you, dude, the zeitgeist works in mysterious ways. Like, we all just happen <laughs> to does. like think of the same things. And so, yeah, just, but hearing that like multiple gyms and, and local climbing areas were changing their practices because of a fucking podcast like I was like, <laughs> you probably don't watch. We're coming full circle, dude. We're coming back to SpongeBob. There's this episode <laughs> of SpongeBob where, <laughs> where uh, SpongeBob uh, Squidward goes on strike, and SpongeBob just wants to do what Squidward's doing, so he goes on strike too, and he <laughs> he comes in and he's like tearing apart the Krusty Krab, and he's like, I will dismantle this oppressive establishment board by board. That's how I felt. <laughs> <laughs> just like, I will tear this shit to the fucking ground if I have to. And just, I don't know, man, like for a long time, I was like, is a podcast really going to do anything? Like, can I, am I going to have an effect on the world? But feeling that little tiny bit of influence of like, I can change shit. It just made me like, oh, I'm going to change the shit out of everything. Like, I'm going <laughs> to I'm gonna lean hard into this now. And so it was just such a a cool moment of like victory, you know, like I just, I felt like I had, I had won some like crazy battle and it's just a photo release, but still. I love that, man. I love that story. <laughs> yeah. And you're just getting started. That's so, that's so cool. <laughs> um, I, I wanted to ask you, like, how has it been received? What are you hearing from people? Good stuff, bad stuff, whatever, like what's coming at you from putting this out in the world? Cause I know, I know how scary that is. Like, yeah, I, <sighs> I'm changing, like I'm I'm like learning that it's important to lean into my discomforts on the show and have conversations about that. For a long time, I just wanted to make like the most inclusive podcast ever and make everyone feel cozy and welcome all the time. And even doing that, it's terrifying to put your voice out there, to put something out there and, and think about being yeah. judged. But yeah, how's it been received? Yeah, overall, it, it's been overwhelmingly positive. And ironically, that's kind of disappointing <laughs> because, <laughs> because, you know, I just I guess I expected more dissent. And and maybe that's because of how we've chosen to like format it. I mean, like I was telling you earlier, we're aiming for people who are who are at least sympathetic to the cause like they they're not, they're like, okay, I agree. Racism's real. What can I do about it? And so, um, like most people that, that we get 
to send us messages or or like um, feedback on like iTunes. It's very very positive. Like they're like it's really well done. Um, it's it's funny. It's serious. It made me think. Lots of that sort of feedback. The only real negative feedback that we receive is like it's a lot of like gut reactions. So you know the show is designed to do this, but. Um, somebody will be like triggered heavily by something that we say and they'll like, they'll turn into a keyboard warrior and they'll like type, you know, some long ass thing on our, um, our page. And ironically, dude, a lot of people end up deleting it afterwards. Like we don't even get to mm. respond to it. Uh, cause that was one thing that we thought about early on is like, how are we going to respond to people that are like totally arguing with us and, Rob is, is so funny. He's like, I'll argue with him. I'm not, I'm not like that. I don't really want to argue on the internet. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like it just, uh, it, I mean, I don't know. I, I, it's just not productive for me. And most people I found, like, if I respond nicely to them, that they'll usually be like, oh man, I'm, I'm sorry that I like blew up. Like I was just in my feelings and it, it most people, that's what it amounts to. Like they're just in their feelings. Um, but I've, I've gotten a lot of feedback where, yeah, like specifically something um, like, I don't know, I don't want to say this. I don't want to like tell anyone's identity, but there was like uh, the most recent episode was called Walls Are Meant for Colonizing, <laughs> which is obviously a play on Walls Are Meant for Climbing. And there's a reason why we titled it that. But somebody that either likes the North Face or like is associated with them got really mad because they were like, but the North Face is like doing all this great stuff and like walls are meant for climbing is a positive message. And like, it's just messed up that you would like do this. And yeah, it's like, I understand, but also like that just requires further in interrogation. You know, like, obviously I'm not saying walls are meant for climbing is a bad thing. It just is like, well, one, like, who are we to assume what walls are for? That's kind of a, a, an underlying problem, you know, like thinking like we know what walls are for. That's a very that's a very colonial way to think of it. And second of all, like just because something's good doesn't mean that it can't be improved. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think a lot of people just that get mad, they either they either don't like the comparisons we make, like they're just upset about us comparing or like aligning the golden age of Yosemite with the civil rights movement like that just upsets them <laughs> or like they they think um and this is actually probably the more interesting side of it is like some people think that we're being divisive mm. that's like if you go on my iTunes well my like our iTunes reviews like there's some one of them is it, it says something about us being caustic and I'm like I don't think you know what caustic means like this yeah. is probably the most welcoming that I can make this conversation. Yeah. Um, and so, but one thing I will tell you that gives me a little bit of satisfaction is no one has said that it's, it sounds bad. Like even the people that review it negatively are like, I mean, it's a good sounding podcast, <laughs> blah, 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 blah. All my, all my internalized racism, all my like, what about isms. And so it I, sounds, it, it sounds pretty damn good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like, man, I ain't even going to cap. Like that shit still sounds good. But, but yeah, like I, I, that gives me so much satisfaction. And honestly, dude, that's one of the reasons why we were like this, the sound needs to be impeccable. Because mm. I don't ever want to give someone the the ability to say it was badly made. Th they basically have to out themselves. Like they have to say the subject material makes me uncomfortable. I don't agree. I don't like this. Like they can't be like, oh, I, 
the quality was terrible. Yeah. So, but yeah, like that's a small percentage of the feedback. Like most of it is like, this is so great. Like, please make more. I binged it all. Mm. Like, When's the next episode coming out? (laughs) I love it. I'm glad to hear that, man. And it's, yeah, it is so interesting. Like they're just, it's a bummer, but they're just always will be those people, um, you know, that just react, that just react, that just write something from a very charged emotional space. And Mm -hmm. like, I actually, it's funny, I actually read that. I don't usually read podcast reviews before I check out a podcast, (laughs) but I, for whatever reason, I like read a few reviews and saw that one. And didn't really know you yet, didn't know what to expect. And then I was just like confused because the tone of the podcast, as I've already mentioned and and we've been talking about, I felt like was so positive and inclusive. And Mm -hmm. yeah, it just made me wonder, like, did this person actually listen to any of this? (laughs) I know, I know, dude. Yeah, but there's always going to be those people and... um, And that's fine. This thing isn't for them, you know, or they're not, they're not at a place within themselves where they're ready to join the conversation and and listen in and and be open. Right. Right. And that's okay because the podcast will be around forever. They can come back to it at a time when they're a little more ready for it. And yeah, you're totally right. I mean, just the internet culture that we have, it like teaches us to read the first few sentences and then react immediately. You know, like I can give you a, a great example that doesn't have anything to do with my podcast. My best friend, Brianna, Maslini Blanchard, she has um, this program she runs with RGCC called Climb Late, and it's designed to make climbing more accessible to marginalized people. So what she does is she'll tour to different climbing gyms in the Midwest, and then for that time that she's there that evening, climbing is free for some people. You know, like it's free for it's free for Black and Brown Indigenous people, like queer people. But it's also free for people who don't, who can't afford climbing and people who, um, who it's their first time climbing. Mm. So literally the only group of people that can't get to climb for free are white, straight people who can afford to climb. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like it's, we didn't say, she didn't say white people can't climb for free. She didn't say like, it's just, that is the only group of people and I think that's okay. Cause like, if they can afford to climb, they don't need to climb for free. Yeah. But anyway, I, I say this because her posters intentionally. So always say free climbing for black and brown people first. Like it says it at the top because like she wants to highlight that for them. And then it goes down like, Oh, well, if it's your first time, blah, blah, blah. But people just see the black and they're like, what the fuck is this? Like black people getting something (laughs) like, and they just lose their shit, dude. Like, Oh my God. Like, and they, it's, it's so obvious that they didn't read the fucking poster. Cause if they read it, they'd see like, Oh wait, white people, white people can climb too. Or like first time climbers. That's, that's literally everybody. So even if you could afford to climb it. So the, the, the amount of people that can't, partake in free climbing is so fucking small that it just you there's no reason to get upset but yeah i remember there was like some dude this is the best this is the best one uh (laughs) some dude on the internet tried to invoke the civil rights act to explain why this was not like a good thing to do and it just the irony that someone would invoke the civil rights act to say that giving climbing to black people for free is not good is not a good thing to do (laughs) 
Um, but yeah, all that to say, like, we're aware that most, that a lot of people that react that way are just, they're not like internalizing the content and they, they really don't want to hear it. They just, they, they want to say that they're open to conversation or they want to be like, oh, well, I'm a liberal and, and, and just use that as an excuse to, to hold on to like their internalized, whatever it is, racism, ableism, sexism, um, and just say like, oh, well, it's if like, they just want to lean on the like, well, if someone communicated it to me in the perfect way, then I would listen. But um, that's just such a fallacy. Yeah. It's like, you're just going to have to be uncomfortable sometimes. Right. And and it's, I mean, I can't really imagine a better way to communicate what you're communicating because it's not as if you're inviting people in and then saying like, this is how it is. Take my word as truth. Right. Right. Like that, that it's it's so far from that. It's like, I mean, yeah. you, you say that right up front in your intro. Like, I'm not here to tell you how to think. I'm just here to invite you into a discussion. And I mean, yeah. you, you literally invite anyone <laughs> onto your podcast, which is like yeah. such a ballsy move. <laughs> I mean it. I mean and it. I know you do. I know you do. It's incredible. So um yeah, I don't know. The people that are missing that, I think just aren't ready, just aren't ready for it. Um, and I guess that's okay. You know, there's a lot of people who are and who are really appreciative of it. Yeah. But, but I, I wanted to... Oh, sorry. I was just going to say like, it'll be around for them when... Perfect. When yeah, that's exactly where I wanted to go next. So you you mentioned that. And like for people that haven't heard the American Climbing Project, like you're you're creating a podcast that's going to exist as like a musician's discography, right? Like each season's like an album. And I love that because when I discover a new artist in 2022, like so often some of their earliest music is my favorite. And, you know, I might start with their latest. I might start with their first. Who knows? And it really feels evergreen, I guess, is what I'm getting at. Whereas like what I do, I hope that these conversations are evergreen, but they're always a snapshot at this athlete and this human's life right now. And sometimes that feels outdated a few years on. Um, so I, I love, I love that you're doing that. And I think it's worth, since we've been talking about race so much in this conversation, because that is what your first season's about. Yeah. I'd love to hear you talk more about your vision for the show and what you like looking out five years from now, having, you know, three, four five seasons under your belt. Like, what do you hope that discography looks like? What are some of the other things that you, do you already have like topics picked out for those later seasons or do you want to just let them let inspiration strike as it does? Like what, what do you think that's going to look like? I definitely have topics that I want to cover. Um, I had for better or worse, I always think so far ahead in the future, but yeah, I, I think I may have said it already, but season two, we want to focus on gender and sexual orientation and its effect on climbing experience. So kind of an analog to season one, but really leaning more into like, you know, why there are no, why, why there are no women route setters and like, why, like why being queer and being a climber is different than being straight, you know, like it isn't, even though it's not a visual representation of being different, it's still, I mean, it can be, but you get what I'm saying. Um, so that, um, I know that we want to do a season on indigenous culture and its relationship to climbing or, you know, Mm. how, how, how climbing can be viewed as an extension of settler colonialism and what we can do to like do better in the future, you know, like that's awesome, dude. Yeah. So we're going to, we're going to do that. I mean, Rob and I really wanted to do that, that uh, season, but we're just not at a point where 
we just don't have the resources and know the people to to make it well. So that that was one like, well, let's let's hold off on that until a couple years. Like hopefully the podcast grows and we are in contact with more um, indigenous people. So yeah, that we're there's some ideas that we we just we know we're not ready to make yet, and we're just gonna build on top of them. But so that one. Um, another season that is uh, that I think is going to be super fun is I want to I want to interview ten immigrants who are climbers. So like just ten climber immigrants. That's the only tying thing. I already have my dream list of who I want to interview. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, like just to talk about their experience. And I don't necessarily want to talk to them to like say I don't want to put words in their mouth or or like lead the conversation. I really just want to tell their story in the classic American climbing project way. And then uh, actually I had this idea a few days ago that I really want to do. I really want to talk about like fat phobia and climbing mm. and like just the, the myriad of things you could go off of with that, of like lighter doesn't equal stronger. And like, why is it such a big deal? Like, why do we need to be thin in order to climb? Like why, like, or why do we think that? Like, why is it such an affront to see a fat person climbing? Why, you know, like, and just kind of diving into that specifically with climbing, because I, I mean, obviously all of America has a problem with fat phobia, but I think climbing is really bad about that. Actually, uh, the reason that I'm thinking of this is because I was having a conversation with my co-host on the the water podcast. And um, I kind of realized that I didn't have body issues until I became a climber. Like I didn't have <laughs> body dysmorphia wow. until I started climbing. <laughs> and because everyone's like, oh, well, you need to be light and blah, blah, blah. And like, I'm just like, not I'm always going to be like a wide shouldered built, like heavier person, you know, I can be muscular, but I'm not, I'm never going to be light. And so, yeah, I just like, that was when my body dysmorphia started, not when I was in school. Um, so yeah, like, I mean, really dude, there's just so, it's like so many weeds and so little time, you know, like there's just, there's so many things we could talk about. And, and my hope is that like, let's say 10 years later, when we've got, I mean, it'd be great if we had a season for every year. I don't know if that's going to happen, but, but it could get to that point where someone could like, look at the discography and go, ah, oh, well, I'm not, I, I'm not really interested in, you know, fat phobia, but I am interested in how indigenous culture is affected or has been affected by climbing culture. And I am also interested in, in race and like, we may go back to race. Like I'm not, <laughs> We have not solved racism yet, and I don't think we will in 10 years. So we can always come back to, to subjects um, and revisit them. And that's the other cool thing about collecting all these interviews is in like five years, we're going to have like tens of thousands of sound bites that we can always pull from. Mm. It's like um, one of my mentors used to say, uh, chestnut checkers <laughs> all the time. And, that, and that's definitely what this is of like, it's not going to be rewarding right away in the sense of like, it's going to take a while to build. It's not going to make a ton of money. It's going to feel like a lot of work, but one day I'm going to turn around and there's going to be five seasons and it's going to be like, people are, uh, it's going to be like a conversation piece of like, Oh, well, if you're, if you're interested in this, you should listen to this season of American climbing project. Right. Um, and like, I don't know. I just, uh, that's my dream is like getting to that point where it becomes like a conversation tool to help people like build better communities of like, yeah, like referencing it when they're talking, when they're trying to, you know, make some affinity space or 
you know, when they want to change a, a law or a way that a climbing gym practices business, like just having something to point to, or even do just like having something to talk about at the crag of like, did you listen to the, to the um, latest episode? Like, that's my dream. That's what I love about uh, what I envy about rappers like Kendrick is like when he puts out an album, like everyone's talking about it mm. and like, what did this mean to you? And like, blah, blah, like, that's what I want the podcast to do in the climbing world. Uh, I, I love it, man. I want that for you. <laughs> I want to, I want to, if there's any way I can help you get to that point, I would love to do that. Cause I just love what you're doing. It feels so important. And I couldn't do it. Like, there's no way I could do what you're doing. And I love that because you are just like the guy for this job. You've like, <laughs> I, I, I felt that listening to your show, man. I'm like, this guy found his shit. Like he found his thing. This yeah. is perfect. Like no one could do this show, but Devin. And man, if you find something like that in your life, like you're a lucky person. And I just, I just hope you hold on to it. I know you have a lot of other interests and your, your time and energy is very divided, but I really hope you you get to that point and see that vision through. Um, and and on that note, I want to ask you like, is there anything you need from people? Like, pe there's a lot of people listening to this that probably haven't heard your show. Some of them probably yeah. have. Um, I don't know. Like, what what would you if you? Can, <laughs> I'm giving you permission <laughs> to ask people for Thank something. <laughs> if if there's anything, like, how can people help you out that love what you're doing and want to see you do more of it? Well, the, the number one way that you could help is, I mean, especially not just listening to the show, probably more important is sharing it. Mm. As you can imagine, it's uh, a little more difficult to circulate subject matter like racism, you know, like it doesn't, it's not like as, uh, as like fun for people to want to listen to. And so it really like having people that really like talk the show up and like my friend Taylor that ref like showed you the show, like that is what is the most valuable to us. Cause it's one thing, I mean, we have a very de dedicated fan base, you know, like, like 90% of our listens come in like the first 24 hours. <laughs> um, so it's really cool like to see that happen. And then it's just like, Oh, and then, you know, like everyone's already listened to it. So it like, it drops off again. So we know that we have people that really love the show and like wait for it, but we really need those people to like share it because that's, we just really need that, especially now, because it's just, I mean, it's hard, it's hard su subject matter to, to circulate, you know, it's not as pretty uh, and it's not as well received oftentimes. Um, the other, the obvious answer too is um, money would be helpful. <laughs> like subscribing to the, the Patreon, because one of the reasons that I do have 19 things to do is because American Climbing Project doesn't really make money. Um, if I could, I would do that. Like, mm. I, I feel very much what you said. Like, I do feel like that is like my thing, ACP, because it embodies all of the, like a, most of the things I love doing. I mean, music, conversation, doing something positive. Like it, it is really like the heart of hearts of what I love to do, but it just doesn't make money. So I have to find other ways to supplement it. But as a result, the podcast just takes way longer to put out. So actually, yeah, if you gave, if you supported us like, you know, with Patreon or whatever, then you'd have not only more content, but it would get even better because then it wouldn't be like, <laughs> it's funny to say rushed. Cause I know it doesn't sound rushed, but I mean, a lot of times it's like, oh shit, why well, I, I really need to put out something. Let's like get this together. Um, and then the other thing, just like, if you think of brands or companies or even climbing gyms that are willing to like support us that means a lot 
because yeah, that's, I mean, that's probably where the bulk of our money is going to come from in reality. It's just challenging though, because we don't, I mean, you've heard the show. We don't use, we don't do ads like, um, yeah, just because the, the format of the show would not really, it really wouldn't work for ad like ads wouldn't work. You know what I mean? It's, it, for one, the, sh- the episodes are shorter. So like an ad takes up way more of our like time, you know, proportionally speaking. And like, I couldn't, I couldn't like, <laughs> I don't know. I couldn't imagine myself like talk of, talking about like how, you know, capitalism is terrible and like, we need to do all these things. And then like type in Devin 30 for 30% <laughs> off it. Like it just wouldn't sound authentic. I don't think. And that's why I really love my, our relationship with gnarly because they just, they just love what we do and they just want us to keep doing it. Mm. And they're just like, I don't know. They're just like, whatever you need, Devin, like just, we, you don't have to do an ad, like just shout us out and like say something about us at the end. And, and um, that's just so helpful to us. Um, like having companies that will support what we're doing. And honestly, if you support us as a company, it kind of like shows your values, right? Like if you're, if you're supporting like such a podcast like this, like it, it just, I don't know. That's at least that's part of my pitch to companies, right? Is like, it's true. hundred percent true. Yeah. I mean, we're not gonna, we're not like, we're not a normal cast. We're not the nugget. Like we don't have like a massive listener base and, and like, we can't really say like, if you give us money, you're going to get 20,000 clicks or whatever it is. But what we can provide is social capital. Um, because if, if a company works with us, it's kind of like, like we're not going to work with shitty companies. We're going to work with people that we really feel like embrace our values and that we've had genuine discussions with and that we have an actual relationship with, right? Not just like doing it for money. You know what I'm saying? So it's kind of a way to be like, yo, like we're, we're not like the worst company ever. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, man. I And I'm sure, I mean, there's so many people listening to this. If you guys can think, or if you work at a company that you think would want to support Devin and his work, hit him up, let him know. Because I'm sure there's there's many, many companies that um, would just want to support you just so that you keep doing what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah, I hope so. And, and also another thing I want to say is like, it doesn't even have to be in an American climbing project capacity. You know, Rob and I have been talking about you know, going more like to, to make more money for ACP, like doing just audio stuff for companies, you know, like doing commercial. And that's kind of what like plug tone audio is, is turning into as well. Obviously is just like being, becoming this engine of producing quality audio content. So, you know, an, an American climbing project in that way is like my resume of like, look, mm. we can make this quality stuff, but for you. So, you know, working with us doesn't have to mean necessarily the podcast. It could just mean like, you know, you have a, you have an, an idea for your own podcast you want to do, or you have like something audio related that you want to, I don't know. We're, we're open to a lot of things. And especially as we work with our plug tone teammates, like just, yeah, I, I don't know. Working with us does not mean like you have to necessarily put your name on the show. I mean, we'd love that, but you know, yeah. Tell me a little bit about that quickly. Um, Plug Tone. I know that's a collective, Chris Hampton, yeah. you, um, a couple other podcasters, but I actually don't, I've talked to Emily about it a little bit. Um, I don't have a strong sense of what it is. Tell me a little bit about Plug Tone. Yeah, it's, um, 
it started out as Chris and uh, Mario and myself just working together all the time and just wanting a, a more convenient way to say that we work together um, and just a more formal way of supporting each other's work. So that's how it started. But <laughs> it was after I quit my job and I was probably I was probably complaining to Chris that I didn't have any money or something like that. And Chris is just thinking of ways to help me make money. And he was like, well, what if we you know, we had a long conversation and, and was like, well, what if we could like turn this into a way for, for us to make money together? And so it's kind of evolved into this two-pronged group of one, it's just a collective of really awesome podcasters that have similar values and, and are telling unique stories or do have some sort of unique twist to their podcast. And then it's also hopefully going to become a way for us to like make stuff for, for brands. Like, you know, we'll, we'll have a team of podcasters and music people that can like make something for a, a Scarpa or a, a black diamond. And then it's good. Like they, they don't have to build the infrastructure for a podcast because they have this collective that's like radio lab or whatever, that's making stuff and constantly, you know, and that's like the, so that's like the, the, the like quote unquote business side of it, but really the most important part of it for me is just having a community of podcasters that, that like support each other's work. Um, Cause podcasting is lonely, dude. I mean, you know, this, like, it's like <laughs> you're on an Island and you, yeah. and you're like making, that's why your consistency. I know you say like, it's easier for you because you can just like, like you don't have to do as much audio work, but consistency is still hard. Like, and you still, you still have to have good conversation, you know, like you can't, even though like your production work is quote unquote simpler, like you, it's still hard. And so, you know, just providing that resource uh, to each other, like being supportive of each other. And when one of us puts out an episode, we all share it. It's just super important. And also like, again, long-term, we want it to be a way to like, you know, empower new podcasts, like maybe maybe someone wants to start a podcast about adaptive climbing or like maybe, I don't know, like it, it could literally be anything. I mean, to go back to what we were saying earlier, like climbing has so much depth left in it. And like, you know, maybe someone has a climbing podcast idea that's even cooler than mine. I mean, I think mine's pretty cool, but I'm sure that there's a cooler or more unique idea and we just haven't even like found it yet. So just giving helping like those people get the resources to start, you know, their work or, you know, just give them a platform. Um, am I explaining it? Like, yeah, am I making more sense out of it or is it? <laughs> you're making perfect sense. I think it's, okay. I think it's awesome. It sounds awesome. And just to touch on that last thing you said, I mean, not like, not cooler or more unique, but I think it's, I think what you're describing is the way that I feel about you. It's like, yeah, I love what I'm doing and I don't want to change that, but right. I like, I could not do what Devin's doing and he's the perfect yeah. guy for it. And I'm so glad that he went for it because this thing didn't exist and now it does. And it's such a valuable contribution, um, to yeah. our community and in this space. So yeah, like you said, I'm sure there's many other people out there that have those ideas and have the, the unique skill sets to make something that neither of us can envision because yeah, we're not them. Right. So Exactly. Oh, that's incredible, man. I I, I love it. Um, yeah. It, yeah. Uh, the you know, and the other thing, this this is the rapper in me, I guess. But another reason I'm really stoked about that idea, and also just having Plug Tone together, 
is I I've, I want competition, you know, like, and I don't mean competition in like a, a shitty dog eat dog kind of way. I mean, competition in the sense of like iron sharpens iron and you want people to do well because it inspires you to do well. Yes. Um, yeah. And I think just, you know, talking about how monochromatic climbing media is, it's because they've been, we've let them do it that way. We've let them make the same films over and over again. And we just keep consuming it. We don't have to do that. We can have a wide variety of stuff. And like, I don't know, just, I, I, I just always think of like, it's like the Kendrick Lamar control verse, you know, like where he didn't, he dissed a bunch of people, but he didn't really diss them. You know, he's just kind of like, I'm trying to set the bar high, you mm. know, like, I think that's literally what he says. Um, and I want, I don't know how to explain, hopefully this makes sense to you, but I want, you know, uh, Mario to put out an episode of Sins and Suffers and for me to go, damn, like I need to, I need to step my game up. Like, that <laughs> yes. shit good. Yes. And then I, yeah. and then I want to put some shit out and then have, um, have you be like, damn, I need to, I need to get on my shit and like make yep. my stuff better. Totally. And it doesn't mean, again, it doesn't mean that we have to do the same thing or that like, yeah, it, it's not like I want to actually beat you. It's just that I want the competitive nature to fuel the rising tide. Like I want mm-hmm. us all to get better. And I want like ultimately like to provide better media for our community and cooler storytelling more high, like high quality audio production. Like that's what I want. Um, and competition is just fun. I think, <laughs> <laughs> I think it could be fun. I couldn't agree more, man. I resonate with everything that you're saying. Um, and it's funny cause I don't actually necessarily view it in that exact same way, but I, like I offer coaching and what I realize that I've, that I enjoy, like at first I like put that on the website. I was like, if you want coaching, you know, let me know if you want a consultation. And um, I've done some climbing coaching, never totally loved it. But what I really enjoy is helping people build their own podcasts. And I've actually done yeah. that for a couple friends of mine now, build their own podcast. And I, it's just this funny thing where like, I'm directly adding competition to this space that I'm yeah. in by helping them out. But but it's, I mean, it, there's so many things that you just touched on there that that I also feel like, Mm-hmm. For one, it just it's like this rising tide raises all, raises all boats thing, you know, like climbing podcasting is relatively new. And when I started yeah. a couple of years ago, when I would tell people what I was doing, I got this a lot like, oh, that's really cool. Sounds like a cool idea, but I can't listen to climbing podcasts, you know, because <laughs> they had like tried the two other two or three other podcasts that existed right. in the space. And if those ones didn't resonate with them, then they just kind of assumed that climbing podcasts weren't for them. Right. So it's, yeah, it's really helpful to have more people in the space doing more interesting things. And I've found that people that love climbing podcasts tend to listen to a lot of them, you know, like yeah, as much as I try to put out, like if you have a nine to five and you can listen to podcasts all day, the nugget only gets you through ha- like halfway through your Monday morning, you know, and then like yeah. <laughs> you need some more podcasts to listen to. So. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's just, I mean, the other thing too, man, is that it's not, it's not like a, we don't need to be, we don't need to have a scarcity mindset about it. It's not like, 
if someone listens to your podcast that they cannot listen to mine. Right. Actually, probably they're more likely to listen to mine because they listen to your, well, especially if you, you know, put this episode out, but <laughs> it's not like, yeah, it's not that's like- the, you That's are, the point. That's the whole point. Yeah. <laughs> it isn't like if you, like a person's ears has only so many charges and like, oh, well, once I listen to one <laughs> podcast, that's it. I'm done. Right. I can't listen to any more ever. Um, so I, I don't think that it, it's like competition, but in I, I there should there's got to be a better word for it because I don't really mean competition. I just mean, yeah, like a, a, a like a sense of like dig, dignity or like a sense of like oh I want to do a really good job at this um, because I've got like a bunch of peers around me that are counting on me to do a good job. Yeah, it's like shared inspiration, maybe. Yeah, that's the other thing too. Is like I just I don't know. I <laughs> there's not too many times that I wish I could have been in a different time period other than this. Um, I think this time period is probably the best for a black person, <laughs> honestly. But but one time period that I do think about is the Renaissance. Like the you had all these like super creative, super like unique people together and they were just like firing shit off because they were like damn like he just dropped some shit that was cool i gotta drop some shit that's cool and like i want that i want to feel i I mean i guess it kind of makes sense when i tell you about how it's hard for me like inspiration is very important to me like i can't just make something i need to like pull from experience so i'm trying to cultivate that in the podcast world and then like the other thing you said about you know, climbers not listening to it. That's one benefit that that I think we have as a podcast is actually we have a lot of people who aren't climbers that just listen to the podcast because of what it is, like just the way it's done and the way we talk. And so it's really cool that even though like I have a lot of people that are like my my partner is not a climber, but but they love your podcast or like I'm not a climber at all, but I just found this and it's That's awesome, fucking dude. awesome. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's again, like just trying to undo some of the stuff that we've been doing forever. And, and this mindset of thinking like, oh, well, I don't, you know, I don't want to lose my customers to this new person. I mean, I think even climbing gyms could stand to stop doing that. You know, this like mindset of like, well, we're going to steal all the members from them or this new gym coming in. Like it doesn't, it doesn't have to be that way. Mm-hmm. It's just that's how America has taught us to to act. And we don't have to do that. We can do something new. So anyway, in rant. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a great lead in because I actually had this question written down. It's right in front of me. I wanted to ask you, who do you who do you look up to right now because of the work that they're doing? And this could be um, the art that they're making. This absolutely does not have to be podcasting, but it can be. But yeah, like who are who are artists or creatives that you are looking up to right now because of um, the art they're making, the impact they're having on the world in big ways, small ways, people we've heard of, people we've never heard of, like whoever comes to mind, I'd, I'd love to hear. Yeah, um, let's see. I have a lot of I have a lot of people I look up to for just different things. Um, in in music, I mean Kendrick is definitely the person I look up to the most because of I, I think I said it earlier, just his his art, the the position he holds as an artist, like he's a very thought provoking, like he puts out something and everyone's like, oh man, like we got to talk about this. Um, Chris is still someone I look up to. I mean, I feel like I'm going to be chasing his coattails forever um, because he just, he does so many things I wish I could do. And he's just like, he's, he's got the life style and like the way he lives his life is how I want to live it. And so I'm just like always going towards that. 
my best friend, Brianna, she's also someone I look up to just because, I mean, as much as I like to like people think that I'm the one that like has the uncomfortable conversation, she is more so. And like, she really leans into um, her work and like is doing a lot of cool things in the climbing world that frankly, I wish I could be doing. And um, I really value like being around people that I wish I could do what they're doing. Um, and then who else? Maylis Edwards is all, also someone I look up to a lot. Like she's, um, I mean, she's just an amazing human, first of all, like just brilliant, very multifaceted, but also just like the space that she takes up and like the, the willingness to not be for everybody, you know, like she, she's not like, she's a lot more like confrontational about how she says things than I am. And she knows that and she doesn't care like what, you know, like she's going to do her, you know, and I just, I really value that. And I really, you know, just, I mean, black women are just amazing anyway, but this black woman in particular is just, just off the chain. Just so cool. Um, I can talk forever about all my, Oh, and, uh, one more and then I'll stop. <laughs> <laughs> um, I really, really love Brene Brown. <laughs> oh, awesome. <laughs> Brene Brown is amazing. Um, I mean, that's where a lot of my like thinking around vulnerability comes from. I can see that. Yeah. Like just, I remember I heard a talk, God, so many things happened in 2012 at the same time. The same year I started climbing, I found a talk that she did on TED about shame. Mm. Um, and that was like my introduction to her. And, and I was like, damn, this, this lady is super awesome. And yeah, I've, since then I like, I read her books. I like check to see what she's doing. Um, but uh, yeah, man, like I, I try to pull from a lot of different sources of like what can be inspiring and just like people I want to learn from. And my best friends tend to be people that I'm jealous of. <laughs> like, <that> I'm like, <laughs> like, damn, I want to be like you. I like, like how, that. How do I, I need to spend time around you so I can like osmosis some shit from you, you know, <laughs> like. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. That's great, man. <laughs> well, I have a self on that note. I have a self-serving question for you. I'd I'd love yeah. to have more melanin on the show on the nugget, and it's hard to yeah. do. Like as I mentioned, I travel on the road and go climbing all the time, and I've met like two black climbers, maybe. Yeah, I think literally two. Like in the two years I've been on the road. Yeah. Who are some names, like some friends of yours, or people that you look look up to who you think are interesting for whatever reason? Who are some names that you'd love to hear on my podcast? Oh man. I mean, how much time do you have? <laughs> uh, uh, let's see. I mean, Mario, I, Mario Stanley, obviously he's, uh, he's another person I look up to a lot and he's someone that's definitely helped me a lot. Um, and made me feel a little more welcome in the world. I mean, you know, um, if you can manage to pin him down, Tande Cotillo is obviously a really cool person. Yeah, he's he's at, it's funny that you mentioned him because he's been on and I'm actually about to do a follow-up with him. I've just been talking oh, to him. Oh man, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's he, great. God, he's so cool. He's like a he's like my like climbing superman. Like that's <laughs> that's who I want to that is who I want to be exactly. <laughs> I love it. Um, and then let's see, uh, I mean like Brittany Le Levitt is amazing, CEO of Brown Girls Climb. Um, man, I just, I feel like I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna miss so many people. So yeah, just, well, I'll, I'll follow up with you in an email. I'd love to get a list and I'll just, I'll just start working through it as, as Oh, you know who else is amazing? Tiffany Blount. Uh, dude, she is like a superhero. Like, so she was in the SCARPA program with me, the SCARPA mentorship program. That's how I got to know her. 
And she's like a true boss, like does so much cool shit. Um, I don't think she gets nearly enough like praise, attention, whatever you want to call it. And I don't think she cares, to be honest, but I just like she is so cool, dude. I, I She would be super cool to talk to. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I'm sure I can think of like literally dozens more really cool black and brown people. Um, oh, also, <laughs> sorry, I, I feel like I keep, keep it going. This, this long form podcast, <laughs> man. Keep. <laughs> I keep saying this person's the coolest person. <laughs> Marina Inouye, she is literally the coolest rock, like coolest person that I know. Like just like I mean, cool in the sense of like, like rock star. Like I just like you are like so cool <laughs> like um yeah just her yeah everything about her is awesome um and she's just like a really good person too um but yeah just God, that's the thing man there's just like and this is why i i'm really passionate about having people on the show that aren't necessarily like known because there's so many cool rock cl- and granted a lot of the people i mentioned are quote unquote known if you want to call it that but dude, there's so many people that are just like such cool human beings that are that are rock climbers. And we just, I mean, that's the benefit of this sport is that we do, you said it very early in this conversation, but like, it's like, it's like we're all climbers right now, but we all have these past lives, <laughs> you know, before I was a climber, I was a, actually, yeah, like one of the examples I think of is my friend Kat. She, before she was a climber, she was like a Grammy award winning singer. Wow. She was a professional (laughs) singer, like has an actual Grammy. She did, she sang for some like opera or something like that. I can't remember, but yeah, like, it's like, oh yeah, I used to be a pro singer. (laughs) Like what? (laughs) And now you're a rock climber. Um, And so, yeah, like just climbers tend to, at least in my experience, have a lot of depth because they do come from different experiences and different walks of life. And the more that we make it accessible, the the cooler climbers are going to be, you mm-hmm. know? So plenty of guests. I can give you a Rolodex. <laughs> thank you, man. I'll, yeah, thank you. I'd love it. I'll follow up with you and get even more names. Um, I'll put them at the top of my list. Heck yeah. This has been amazing, dude. Uh, I want to ask yeah. you though, Do you is there anything else that we haven't touched on? I, I want to wrap up by hearing where you're at with the show, what's coming up next. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't believe season one is done. I know it's almost done. I want to hear Mm -hmm. the status and what you have in mind for when season two is going to show up and things like that. But um, before wrapping up with that, is there anything else that feels important to share or to touch on that we haven't talked about in this conversation? Um... You're like no, hangboarding no. routine or, you know, anything like that. <laughs> no, I'm not. I mean, I, I definitely have a background in coaching and training, but nothing I'm going to say on the show is going to be revolutionary. So you probably don't need to know about my training routine, but um, yeah, I mean, no, not nothing really that, that we haven't. I mean, we've talked about so much. Um, it's been awesome. Just, uh, I've loved it. I guess like if I could like leave people with something of just like, you know, all of us that are climbers are leaders you know, whether we want to be or not, climbing is a very community-based sport. And I would love it if all of us took a little more like responsibility for what it means to be a climber and, um, and just like shared this goodness with more people. And like, you know, think about that 20-year-old Devin that really needed rock climbing. And there's more of him out there. You know, there's more of us that could benefit from it. And yeah, we just have something really amazing. And I think that we need to keep improving it, but also just like keep sharing it with people. 
You're the best, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Said it perfectly. Oh, um, well, yeah, tell me what's going on. Where are you at with season one? And when can people, I guess, yeah, where can people find your show? What can they find right now? What's coming mm-hmm. What's coming up next? Yeah, so we've uh, we've been on a bit of a well, you can't even really call it, call it a pause because we we usually have a couple months between episodes, but I've kind of had to like step back from it just because I've been really busy this last couple of months in particular with like CBJ stuff and um and and getting ready for CWA and now but now that stuff is like slowly starting to die off, so um, or get less busy. So we've got two more episodes planned for season one. Um, I'm like, I'm like a quarter of the way through one of those episodes, but like I said, it's not like a linear thing. Like I could have it done tomorrow. Like if it hits me or it might take another month or so, but I really, I I really want to get this season one done by summer because what I want to do next is start having conversations for season two. Actually, I think that may start happening anyway, just because I'm going to be going to Rumney for a Rumney Together. It's a new festival. It's happening in June. And then I'm also going to be at the in Lander for International Climbers Festival. So I would love to start collecting conversations then. Um, so season two is already underway. It's just a matter of, of uh, starting the process over and hopefully having a better process this time so it's a little easier to make episodes. But that's where we are now. Like we're, um, I mean, Rob and I are both super busy aside from, I mean, Rob's in grad school right now. So he's like just as busy, if not more busy than me. Um, so we, we have, he and I both just haven't had a lot of time to even sit down and talk podcasts, but, um, but we'll trust that I am still working on the last two episodes for this season. And, uh, we're definitely looking for sponsors for season two. I have a, I have a, co-host in mind uh, for season two that's a black woman but i need money to pay her so uh companies or slash people like please help us out <laughs> and uh yeah i mean and i mean like you already know i have a bunch of things going on in the periphery but that's what's going on with acp and kind of where we're what we're what our plans are i mean we want to we ideally want to keep the season uh, a year pattern one thing that I am going to do differently this time is I'm going to get the season done before I put it out and I'm going to have like a, a freaking uh, like poster that like has all the episodes coming out, like a tour poster. Oh, know? I love that. So that, That's great. So you'll know what's coming out and it's just going to be like, it's going to be like when Lil Wayne used to drop drought mixtapes. Like there's just <laughs> going to be American Climbing Project season and everyone's going to be talking about it for 10 weeks and then it's going to go away. And then I'm going to go into the bat cave and make another <laughs> one. And then I'll repeat it next year. Like, oh shit, it's March. Like ACP's coming back. Like that's kind of that like craze and like binge component of it is something I want to like really hone in on. And I think we're going to get to do that with season two. And it's going to be super fun to like build the anticipation and then just, yeah, like have it be American climbing project season for a little bit. <laughs> I love it, man. Well, I will be sure to amplify whatever you put out, share it with all the people that are listening to this. Um, I will put links to all your stuff in the episode notes for this episode. And Devin, this has been awesome, man. You're, I, I'd love to have you back anytime. You're always welcome <laughs> on the show. It's been really Heck good yeah. to, to have this chat with you and get to know you a little bit better and um, just see kind of behind the curtain of this amazing thing you've made. So really appreciate yeah. this conversation, man. Thanks for doing this. 
Well, thanks a lot, man. Yeah, I mean, the feeling is 100% mutual. It doesn't feel like we've been talking for as long as we have because this is just... That always yeah, happens. A, That's why I keep putting just, out such <laughs> damn long episodes. I'm like, time warp. How has it been two, two and a half hours already? It's crazy. It's And it's tough, right? Because like you don't want to you don't want to cut down anything. And it's like, you don't want to stop the conversation because you're like, oh, it's been an hour. I just, know, I just decided to embrace it. A while back, I just decided like long form, that's going to be my thing. I'm going to double yeah. down and just talk as long as it feels right to talk. And, and that's going to be what it, what it is. So. Yeah. You know. And I think it's, I think your show is better for it. You know, like there's, there's a time and place to be brief and there's a time and place to to just talk for a couple of hours and let the conversation, especially if it's good, do you like, you don't want to like cut it off. Um, but yeah, I really appreciate this. And, and I mean, you know, you already know this, but you're always welcome on the show too. I mean, there will be, we're going to talk about a lot of stuff on ACP and I'm sure at some point you're going to look at the subject matter and be like, damn, I want to, I want to talk about that. <laughs> Doors open for you. <laughs> yeah, man. Well, the, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind, I definitely resonated with you um, as far as the body dysmorphia thing. Like, yeah, that didn't happen for me until, you know, I'd lived at Smith Rock for five years and was trying to climb my yeah. first 514. It was just like, oh, what's 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 happening? I don't see myself. I don't see my normal self in the mirror anymore. This is this is. No. Uh, yeah, this, yeah, this is strange. So. Yeah, I'm glad to hear you say that because I think that's another thing. I mean, the the more obvious effect of body dysmorphia is, you know, unfortunately how women like are perceived and like how like they can't be too thin, too fat. But but body dysmorphia affects men just the same, not just the same, but it, it also has a profound impact upon men. And so, yeah, it's just uh, I think that's an important thing to talk about, too, is like how men see themselves because of of climbing media and like what we, what we think we're supposed to be, you know, and like the, yeah. So we'll, we'll, we'll get there. Don't <laughs> worry. We'll, we'll get there and we'll make people uncomfortable and then they'll change their mind and be like, yeah, I, I needed to hear this. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, dude. Um, love what you're doing. Thanks again. And uh, yeah. yeah, thanks to everybody for listening. Really appreciate you guys listening to the end. I hope you enjoyed this one. And if you did, please go check out Devin's show, The American Climbing Project. You can find it all the places where podcasts are. I'll link to everything. And uh, yeah, thanks again, man. We'll see you guys next time. Thank you, everybody. Hopefully I'll see you around. That's a wrap. All right. <laughs> that was so good. Dude. I, I think... All right, friends. I think we'll call that one there. I really hope you enjoyed that conversation with Devin. I'm going to share episode two of his podcast here on The Nugget. Devin graciously offered that up. I figure that's a great way for a lot of you to check it out, see if you like it. So be sure to look out for that in your podcast feed and you can go check that out right now and be sure to follow The American Climbing Project. Devin is still working on the final episodes of season one, but season one is mostly complete. It's incredible. I highly recommend you checking it out. You can find it wherever you listen to podcasts. It's The American Climbing Project. You can't miss it. And also, if you've been considering supporting The Nugget, I encourage you to put that money towards Devin Dabney and The American Climbing Project. Go check out his Patreon. I'll be sure to link to his Patreon right there in your podcast app for this episode, as well as in the show notes at thenuggetclimbing.com. You can learn all about his show and ways to help him out. 
This guy's doing some awesome work and he can't continue to do it without our support. I'm supporting him as much as I can and I hope you guys will consider supporting as well. And finally, let's talk about some sponsors. Don't forget to check out Grasshopper Climbing. The Grasshopper board truly is my favorite of all of the boards on the market, and it's the one that I plan to purchase in my own house someday once I'm ready to take a break from van life. The Grasshopper board is awesome, so if you've been thinking about buying a board or building your own home wall, be sure to head over to grasshopperclimbing.com to check this thing out. And last but certainly not least, be sure to check out Rhino Skin Solutions. These are earth-grown products made to help support your precious skin so you can sweat less, go longer, and climb harder on the rock. Go to rhinoskinsolutions.com, use code NUGGET at checkout for 20% off your next order. And that is it, my friends. Thank you so much for listening to the very, very end. I hope you have an amazing week and we will see you next time. Like we do it, cause no one can do it. Like we do it, like we do it, like we do it.